Hello and welcome to the afterlife. I don't even. I didn't even prepare it that way because that was so beautiful. Uh, welcome to the campaign one reflection, the r- 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 reflection. Redux. I'm your emotionally and mentally exhausted host, No Preto, and I'm here with my two heroes. Oh, that's very nice. I'm no one's hero but my own, Lisa Condemi, <laughs> aka Gorgonzola. My fate was sown. The dice were thrown. I abdicated my throne. Last trip to the rhyme zone. Oh, <laughs> my God. You heard it here first, folks. Next intros, no rhymes. rhymes. None. None. We need another bit. No, we need a new bit. We it's need a new done. bit. And it is I, Ashley Goodwin, a.k.a. Brigid. Feel like I want to cry as we try not to say goodbye. Oh, oh my god. I feel like I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the whole point is to try not. Try not. To do that. Try not. Please, please. I'm done trying. So, this is kind of an informal afterlife episode. We're going to talk through the entire campaign mm-hmm. from arc one to arc seven. I didn't want to do it on my fingers. That visual bit. Sorry, gang. Um, <laughs> including some behind the scenes stuff. I'll answer any question you guys have, unless it's something that I desire to hold on to for a future one shot or something. Um, we'll give some imps and simps for each arc. That way, if you have them, like you, we can categorize them. Or if you remember something, you'll be reminded during the arc itself uh and then we'll just end with a little chat about the future of tntd enterprises (laughs) and if you end up liking this episode definitely go back and check out our afterlife you can give us five dollars and you will get access to every single one there are over 70 i think we started in the second season or close Close to the end of the second season. Second season or or like early third, yeah. And we just talk about every single episode and our conspiracies. Presuming you have listened to the finale, you can hear if our conspiracies were true or not. And some of them were very true, as we will find out. As we will discuss. As we will discuss. So you'll also, if this is on the main, if this is going right to the main feed. So then you'll hear lots of uh, bits that we do that if you want to be in on the bit, then you should listen to all the afterlives. It only costs $5 to be in on the bit. It's really... Honestly... And you're going to be so many bits, like right? Like we first of all, there was at one point sung segments. All the segments were sung. <laughs> I then we that we stopped doing we, that. We kind of stopped doing that. He into my mind. Then we also we were always saying where we were, and we were chasing Shisha through the multiverse. Oh yeah, the whole season while we were chasing. You're missing a lot. You're missing a lot. Go check it out. There's so many bits. Some of them are amazing. Others you might forget like the one where i sang all the bits so um definitely check that out and also while you're there again one month for 10 bucks you get all that plus the content surges what a steal like almost 40 bonus episodes i'm talking hundreds of hours of content like the sopranos amount of hours worth of content okay so let's Jump right in. Let's start with arc one. I you're gonna say let's recap, which you kind of are. But. Oh yeah, I mean, like, let's recap arc <laughs> one of the pod Paddlewick problems, <sighs> guys. A hundred episodes Ashley ago. Times. Yes, I'll just I will let you guys uh, chat about it, and I will chime in. This was your time as a listener. 
I mean, second arc yeah. as well, but this was during your listener role and also your you listening era. Literally yeah, always listening. Your supportive role. You were like a utility class because you kept me alive during that time. Clerics. All of our listeners are clerics. All of our listeners are clerics. So obviously this was the arc where we met Gorgonzola. We met Scram. We were introduced to the Omnimalum, the Empire, and some of the socio-political problems that the world was facing. Back when I thought that Lord Akion was going to be the final boss. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, that was such a good... My This is my first simp is for you, is for having there being layers and layers, not having the highest threat start out right away. Question, how much... I, I'm sure that you already had Paragon in mind, mm-hmm. but were you like, oh, this will be like a bigger threat for my heroes, and then later you realized you would have to move forward more? Or Yeah, 100%. When I came up with Akion, I had thought that maybe he would make more appearances before the third arc, and mm-hmm. more before he was unceremoniously, brutally, brutally killed. Dragged across the road <laughs> dragged in through the streets. Put in a bag. And then impersonated. Uh, you know, what a humbling <laughs> end for humbling him. Humbling end for this literal lord on the council. Um, but yeah, I died. Lord I, Akion, <laughs> your thighs are... <laughs> oh my god! Uh, Early sip for that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I there were definitely... Akiano was like, maybe he'll make an appearance in the second arc and then like in the third. And he could have stayed in the campaign and been like a threat, but that's just not how it went. When you guys decided, yeah, we're going to go south for sure and we want to go by boat instead of by land, I was like, Akiano's out. Mm-hmm. Like he's done. And then at the end of that arc was when you guys forgot about Plebo. And I was like, oh, Plebo can be there though. <sighs> Because wow. he's not as important enough, so that way he's just always like, like I mean, he wasn't at that time. It was just like I knew he's that as a threat. Burner. Yeah, you guys weren't going to be like, we got to kill Plebo right now. Another simp was just that this very serendipitous moment of us just being overwhelmed players who like were trying to figure out how to be heroes and how to record a podcast for the first time, and we just let like an NPC kind of slide by the wayside, mm-hmm. and it made the show so much better. It really did. I mean, that it sucked without Plebo. Yeah, I mean, this whole campaign hinged upon Plebo. I actually. <laughs> <laughs> just finished editing chapter 99 mm-hmm. which obviously is the last time we see Plebo this campaign we will obviously talk about that but mm-hmm. to be able to have Plebo get introduced to have all these small NPCs that you guys interacted with like Miranda and Gio and even though it's just like the two kids with knives that you wrote that song about like <laughs> there was so much fun to be had in arc one mm-hmm. I did have a pretty good idea of what you guys were going to be facing I didn't necessarily know to what degree everything would play. Like, I didn't know... I knew that you'd eventually go to your mom, but I didn't know necessarily if... I mean, Christ, the whole groups thing, the whole, like, you having to go and actually help him come only happened because you died. Yeah, That was not something planned. With 23 episodes left in the campaign. Yeah. Which is wild, because it feels like such a large Big part of the thing. Yeah, yeah, you think that it's like, that's something I had my sights on from the beginning, but truthfully, I was like, the arc for Zola is learning about her magic and her heritage and then finding her mom and then from there she will use all that support and community she learned to take on essentially magic global warming like magic climate change mistra and then obviously just the other stuff unfolded as well and it kind of intertwined with what was happening so Definitely kind of crazy that that went down the way I it did. I love the first season so much. We're so fresh in it. 
it makes me like cringe listening back to the first or second episode because like I've mentioned to you guys I just so didn't have like a handle on who Zola was yet Mm -hmm. which I think is fine because she comes across as very kind of like immature and like changing she like really doesn't know like what her personality is yet like how she treats people yeah there's a lot of like me trying to be cool and like a lot of my crit fails in the first two seasons were opportunities that I took to be like Zola is trying way too hard Zola like desperately needs for people to think that she's like an adult and cool (sighs) Uh, which later those turn just turn into like genuine vulnerable teaching moments yeah and different Zola different Zola and I'm so glad it went the way it did I think it's funny to look back because it all seems like it does inform her character Mm -hmm. I mean it does but it seems like it had already been informed because it is so just true to what it is to be an 18 year old leaving for college essentially Mm -hmm. um and oh yeah go ahead oh I'm so sorry I have one more simp for you, Tell which me. is um, a moment where you like knew so much what you were doing when the uh, show first started. I really thought like, oh, Zola's like desperately seeking this like mother thing. Zola like won't get along with her father. Like there will be some animosity there. Like either like he wants her to stay on the farm or he's like cruel to her in some way. Like I think it. I just was like going extreme with my storytelling, and then you instead leaning into like Zola thinks that her dad is like so annoying and overbearing and like uh, obsessed with keeping her in Paddlewick and then when we finally meet him him being like such a sweetheart and having it be like Zola's dumb teen thing of like being so angry with where she is and rebelling against like the one person who really really loves her that was such a better story choice than having Zola's dad be an asshole. Like, mm-hmm. you just kind of, like, understood what the character needed and pivoted it in a way that I really enjoyed and w- was perfect for the, the story as a whole. Thank you for saying that. I've always been nervous about that. Like, even in the moment when we did it and I was like, this is funny and meaningful, I was like, I hope that Lisa isn't like, hey, you kind of like skewed my story changed my backstory yeah. but it was the perfect thing to do like it just was the moment where i was living in the character and you were living in the story i've always really appreciated <laughs> that you made gianni parma so sweet to zola because that's so like teenage daughter you know to be like I fucking hate my dad mm-hmm. and then a little bit of time goes by and you're like oh my dad's kind of the sweetest yeah, yeah exactly i mean the the way you talk about gianni when we're in the capital and you talk about um the the festival that comes up you know the charcuterie festival the charcuterie yeah. festival and wanting to see your father there it's like clear that it's just like that little teen angst but mm-hmm. you really do love him so much yeah I think that making that switch ultimately was the best move and I Carterman riding by on her motorcycle again <laughs> keep that one in guys every time a motorcycle has gone by for this entire last arc we've been like that's Carterman wild spice on her motorcycle where is the motorcycle where is the guy? motorcycle guy <laughs> um, <laughs> I okay so what I was gonna say about um, your father was I also was thinking about and this is like player safety of how hard it is sometimes to role play like an argument with a parent in game mm-hmm. like you really have to be like I'm okay to like hash something out just in case you and your father did kind of come to a head. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I think that this is going to be a good switch. And I think that ultimately it'll be a lot easier for just the role play Mm -hmm. to be like, we don't agree and we're frustrated with each other, but it's not so much so that I'm like, 
I want to scream at this character, which I could, you could easily make a dad character like the worst. I mean, Navar, like of, you know, mm-hmm. like Levitt's father was the kind of dad where you're like, oh my God, uh, can I use my action to kill this man? Yeah. yeah. Kind of weird that you make all my dads in the show be dicks. <laughs> did I do Oh, you know what? Did I do that? There's only, I'm two for two. I'm two for two, <laughs> which means that the rest of the dads of the campaign for Ashley have to be nice dads oh i just thought about how zola and brigid really balance each other out because i have mommy issues and you have daddy (laughs) for sure (laughs) you meet each other where you need to be um any we we understand each other on a deeper level (laughs) any last thoughts for arc one before we move on to arc two goblin gunk goblin gunk crips crops crips crops apples oh god (laughs) so many beautiful moments and i do also want to say that like the trajectory of the shard and the how that kind of came together I had envisioned the progress that you all saw on the show which was that like the shard is like a piece of Mistra that will eventually form into and turn you know become Mistra mm-hmm. but I obviously was just kind of like how that will happen will be determined by like the wild magic of Scram and the like choices that Zola makes in terms of when you start because we had discussed you're like oh I kind of want to have magic we'll do the Eldritch Night Path like I was like that will also be a window into how like maybe that will help push it along and Mm -hmm. it just fell into place like we'll talk about it in each arc but like Scram essentially giving the shard like life and energy and then in consciousness and then Limburger kind of being this sort of uh, ego situation where it's like if Scram is the id, then like Limburger is the ego. Right, the two devils on the shoulder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then moving into the later arcs and having like this moment where you guys were like, we're going to have a bunch of really overpowerful spell casting happening at once. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the shard has to react to that. And then it became like, I was like, this is its birth. Like, this is when it becomes, mm-hmm. it has its own sort of mind to itself. Mm-hmm. So it was, I, you know, I'm so glad that things kept falling into place and I felt very lucky that you guys helped guide it along all the ways you did. I could have never have thought that we would have ended up there with the first thing that the shard um, did (laughs) being zoom Scram's bag to the moon. Send us back to space. That bag's still there. That bag's still there. I'd love to find it in a a bonus app um, when I go hunt down all of my shit. (laughs) Um, And also um, still in appearing at the end of the first arc is is I think my ultimate simp. I wasn't sure if I was going to take Find Familiar because obviously we had two PCs and I was like, is it kind of like crowding if I'm like having this thing going on with my pet? Mm -hmm. But I loved having Still In. It was always a piece of the pod that felt very cozy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no matter how scary the world gets, like you've got your little cat at home who you just like snuggle. That was relatable to me. I totally agree. Um, It was, I think maybe like talking about Still In, like talking about what Stilton eventually we found out Stilton to be right now would be great. Oh yeah, we can, let's jump into that. Cause I mean, I want to, you've been having thoughts, Ashley, and we had discussed a little bit about Stilton. Oh yeah. So Stilty Stilts. So, cause (laughs) 'cause I was thinking about like, um, I was thinking about how uh, if Stilton is a child of, uh, Wilda, right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 
and Marfin, you're saying. Yes. Yeah, so I had said off air to you guys after like we were like, well, we got to talk about some things. We can't wait until the. Yeah, wait, I didn't catch the Marfin thing. So, okay. I had just mentioned this to Ashley after you had left. But basically, Wilda is a child of Mistra. Right. She was born in the same way that like Athena was born from Zeus's mind. Like. Wilda was born from Mistress Mind. Mm-hmm. And I had mentioned this to Ashley and we'll reveal now that Wilda was born from her mind because she had this like deep love for Marfin. I so see. it was like it was the like equivalent a of child. Yeah, it was like a spiritual you child. You mean Stilton was born from Wilda's And then Stilton mind. was born from like Stilton but was Mistra made from Wilda. was born Wilda was born from Mistra's mind because of Marfin. Yeah. So he was like her spiritual father. Exactly. So it's like mommy daddy Marfin Mistra and then Wilda and then Wilda is the mommy of Stilton. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So does Stilton have like a fey name that you have in mind or no? Cuz Zola just named him after her cow. So so I have this thing about fey names in my games that I think it's really fun for them. You could like have nicknames or whatever, so Stilton would be like a nickname. But a fey name is something that's like, like for example, when I was uh, shout out to Morgan and Becca, uh, two of our patrons, in the campaign that we were playing, they were fighting with the Green Man, which is like essentially another title for like Oberon, like this Spring Prince in the Fey Courts. And they were fighting with him because they needed to find out his true name to, like, fulfill a bargain. I see. And his true name, they were like, he's like, fine, I'll tell you my true name. And then I'm like, you are suddenly thrust into a moment. You're, you hear the sound of a babbling brook. You see, like, gorgeous trees uh. and sunlight coming through. And, you and like, there's a whisper on the wind. Like, mm-hmm. the name itself is, like a moment mm-hmm. and experience and that's why it's hard to get someone's true name is because it's like to be able to even communicate that experience so fully is like such a powerful arcane ability mm-hmm. right like so Stilton's name would be something like the like I mean I hadn't thought of it but it essentially would be like maybe like something cozy like that moment where you're sitting by the fire mm-hmm. and your pet curls up like beside some like you. farm stuff yeah it was, yeah yeah Stilton is like where his namesake comes from is like Zola mm-hmm. in, with the cows in the fields that's so interesting I I feel like um this is a little bit out of order maybe we would talk about this when we were talking about the seventh arc but obviously uh i had prepared for zola to potentially die if things went badly in the finale and i thought a lot about what i wanted to say if i lived which i said all of it at the end but i thought about what i would say if zola died and basically started out with being like death casts a recap on zola of it being like you know that's her life flashing before mm-hmm. her eyes is is like death taking its time to cast recap on her before she dies mm-hmm. and uh still in leading her through like this whole um almost honestly what you're describing of like wind waving through wheat and like sparkling water birds bathing in water like all of these farm memories mm-hmm. and memories of like the water on the feral free and then the end of the paragraph was basically going to be like, you know, Zola's so lucky to have lived this life where she got to be, you know, a daughter, a witch heiress, a wizard, a fighter, a warrior, all of these things. Um, but she's not scared leaving because she knows that, you know, even when she goes up there, that there's going to be a green dot that leads her home. Oh my God. So it would have ended with still in leading her home. That's yeah, so I would have been oh, yeah. like everything you just said is is 
totally makes sense. <laughs> the end of all things essentially would be death being like, mm-hmm. let me show you the end of your story and mm-hmm. bringing you through it. And that's beautiful that still would be a guide and that you wrote that. That's excellent. Yes, yeah. Sorry, guys, that it didn't happen that way. I know. You would have loved <laughs> Sorry, that. Still Sorry, alive, still still alive. <laughs> I did not want to read that paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> I made the font really small, so it didn't have that. <laughs> it was way shorter than the solo paragraph. <laughs> but I was thinking when, uh, when thinking about Stilton being like a child of Wilda, mm-hmm. like, and mm-hmm. and the uh, relationship that um, that uh, Grimalda Hexworth had with Wilda and how like all of that was connected oh, and I was like did Stilton ever have a reaction like when we talked about Wilda in the show Wilda in the show yeah I honestly like, did he ever like ears perk up or something here's the thing is I missed the opportunity to learn about Wilda in Everholm mm-hmm. because of a mishearing because there was like the Wildeworm Wood. Yeah. And so I thought that when Noah was telling me about the Wilda areas in Everholm, that like they the were saying like wild, yeah. But I didn't realize it was Wilda, the goddess. And so if I had heard it like that, I probably would have been like, oh, let me hear more about that. Yeah, That's like yeah. the woman who, or the goddess who saved Quince. Like, yeah. But instead I was like, oh, okay, a garden. Cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. You're like, yeah, I really don't need to go to a garden. Like, I need to find and like be with my mom right now. So, so. in a way, Stilton is really related to Marfin, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, yeah I t- that is a very good point. And, and Marfin and I are family through yeah, Stilton. through Stilton. <laughs> <laughs> I finished the wine. We have some wine in the... St- There's another bottle. We could pop another bottle. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> keep talking. I can't, I can't keep talking. It's so funny for you to yeah. cut back to... Oh, my God. Um, oh, that essentially Grimalda is, you know, Marfin's child is Grimalda. Grimalda has fey blood in her blood because she has a hex blood. Wilda's like her... There's like a weird, like, kind of semi-connection there. Mm -hmm. Because it's, yeah, it's... I mean, it was really, really cool to try and hide the Stillen thing. There were so many opportunities where Zola failed a inside check. I don't know yes. if you noticed this, but there was like I like never, I never got whenever it. Whenever it was Stillen, you were just like, "What's your deal?" And someone was like, bow, 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 and I'd be like, "Roll an inside check," and you'd be like, four. and I'd be like, "Stillen's adorable, right?" Maybe it was meant to be because if I had learned more about Wilda earlier on, it's like I would have been too close to the Marfin memories. Mm. I think that maybe it was almost like my headcanon is that Stilton was like, if I had like found out about one of Marfin's memories, then like maybe like everything would have folded and shattered kind of in the yeah. planes in his mind. And Stilton was like keeping me like keeping the bumpers up between me and too much of the truth before it was time. Wilda's whole thing as like a like a character, we could never obviously she never really got introduced, but she's been in other campaigns I've done. It's always been that they are like a they are kind of in touch with the story of the world and therefore they are like I help people almost randomly, it seems like, because I'm choosing people who I'm like, it's important for you to move forward in the story this way. They have all the secrets. Yes. Like, it's like as if, it's kind of like Dr. Manhattan-y, where it's like, Dr. Manhattan's like, I don't really know why necessarily, but I know for sure that, that this is going to happen this way, and you have to be this way. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I just, today, I am one-third through Critical Role campaign one. And I just heard the name Vecna for the first time. You heard Vecna's name? I heard about um, the the Whispers. The Whispered One. So... 
Um, I love the idea of a character who is like in charge of like stories and secrets. I thought that was very cool. It's I've got 80 really episodes cool. left so to get into, <laughs> but I'm 40 in. <laughs> Nobody spoil anything in the comments. <laughs> uh, well, let's jump in and start talking about Arc 2. Yay! Um, I got our Arc 2 wine bottle. So. Yeah, we pop a bottle per... <laughs> is it good that we're already <laughs> done with one at the end of Arc 1? <laughs> we're going to go through seven bottles. We'll start drinking the Trulies that have been in our fridge. Oh my god. I brought those Trulies to your house for a party in like Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, like, oh, it was Harvest Peak. It was Harvest Peak. It was when we celebrated Harvest Peak. The Harvest Peak Trulies coming out of the finale. Dare um, I say it's an allegory? I I mean, if Ooh, you really good. If we finish this and we need more, I will drink one for the sake of the bit. It's a Monday night. <laughs> and I have to get up early. Um, okay, so talking about Arc 2, the Orcacy. This is where you traveled on the Feral Free. Wasn't it? Oh, I mean, we met Quince. Scram was absorbed into the Shard. Ciceros. Drifton. Um, Dare Boucher. Yeah, there was just so many Admiral. different. Uh, yeah, sorry, Sims. Admiral, sir. Um, I mean, any sort of simps and imps from you guys personally. I one of my biggest simps from this entire arc was just that we were using an encounter table, and as you know, I just really love randomness because it it makes for stories that you're like, when it when it becomes cliche, you're like. The fate made it this way. Yes. And when yeah. it's not cliche, you're like, we're getting a story that's not being normally told or like mm -hmm. an experience. Like, this isn't normally how it goes, but this is how it goes for us. So I really love that about mm -hmm. this arc. Mm -hmm. When I feel nostalgic about the campaign, it's uh, late uh, arc two, early arc three, like basically everything from um, meeting Trick and through, I mean, the whole third arc is amazing, but those are the days, I think, of Zola's life where the the depth of the story really started to open up underneath me, like being on a ship on a huge sea. Mm -hmm. It was like arc one, Lisa thought like, my friend Zola, my friend Zola, oh my God, my friend Noah is a great storyteller. Mm -hmm. um, there's definitely like more to this. And then season two, I was like, oh, there's like a lot more to this. Like this mm -hmm. is really going to be a lot of secrets when hearing the name Gravedigger, like mm. finding out more about my mother and really seeing that we were going to go like deep into the storyline of what happened to the orcs in Emeralia. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was the time when I realized that there was gonna be so much juicy stuff to dig into. And so it was really fun having so many questions and basically none of the answers yet. Yeah, that was when we really start Cause like, as you said, arc one, we were like settling into what the hell the campaign was. Even though mm -hmm. I had ideas, you guys had to like come into your characters and we had to be like, as a storyteller and you guys as active participants in the story, we had to find like, where, like, oh, here's how we get the best story from our different storytelling mm -hmm. methods. So arc two is when that really shaped up and we really got to start to dig deep. I mean, Ashley listener and Lisa player, what did you think about, like, I mean, you didn't know at the time, but the gem undying and like the things that the shard did in this arc, like, what did you think at this point, what did you think was in store? And what did you think of the green shard? Did you have any suspi like suspicions that it was the reason why those skeletons rose from the dead there? Yeah, I definitely was connecting um, the green shard with all of like the poison that was underneath there. I think that it was very uh, the fact that like the 
shard absorb the gem and absorb the ion stone too. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, I was really confused about what was doing what and what was causing everything. Yeah. And so I definitely realized at that time that like Gravedigger might be someone that I was maybe like related to or maybe someone, you know, who had more to do with my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but the shard, I really had no idea what was going on in the second season with the shard, especially when I found out that Trick was coming and searching for the shard. I was like, oh, I really did not kind of stop to think that I just figured like, shard it was shane wanted to play a wild magic sorcerer there needed to be some like basis for like the wild magic that is just like a magical item it was the magical item though yeah. <laughs> the it most was. magical of items it's actually so funny i had conceived of the wild shard before the wild magics was even introduced in the campaign i wow. was like i i want a MacGuffin, but i want it to be significant like mm-hmm. i don't I, it's not going to be meaningless it's not really macguffin if it's like a god yeah you're right it's okay so i wanted i wanted a fake macguffin i wanted something that at first peer, appeared like a oh like a catch all deus ex machina stone but in reality it being like i have a table there are there is like mechanics behind it like mm-hmm. having a little hidden thing that was like i mean Shane certainly did not know that there was that much going into the shard. Like, didn't know that I had mechanics and that I didn't want that to be the case. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be like, oh, I'm getting my second glass, guys. Um, I wanted it to be like, you guys wouldn't suspect the shard until it was important enough to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also really, really happy with, I, I, you know, I, I feel bad. I neglected to bring up Priya, but Priya. I was just thinking about how we didn't mention Priya because yeah. I was about to go in on how much I love Ciceros. Because I was also about to bring up Ciceros because I think that that's like, you know, I mean, there's other really amazing things from this arc. There was the, the pizza party, the invention of pizza. There was obviously just like all of your hangouts with Quince. There was the first time we had like a character die in a way that was like Mm -hmm. seemingly very permanent if not for the mechanics of the game working out learning about uh admiral Styx's family and Mm -hmm. everything about that too yeah her uh, mother's music box yeah i mean that whole two episode saga one thing i really really loved about this arc was watching zola like having this teen experience of like falling for people and maybe not having that experience earlier because it wasn't like a friendly safe space and getting like a taste of it with Priya and then finding it in a deep sort of like profound exciting passionate way with Mm -hmm. Cicero's yes this arc was definitely I think where Zola like because there were so many questions and not that many answers it's the moment before Zola it's like her childhood innocence is still there. Like yeah. after she dies, there's so much like weight and destiny and fate. Even though she like jokes and is very comfortable in her skin, there's like the weight on her shoulders versus like arc two where she doesn't know that she is like tied up or she has been told a little bit via the prophecy, but I think it's probably like, no, that must be about Scram and just like the world. Like that's not me. Like I'm not a magical destiny girl. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is why 
I thought that ultimately in the end, Zola would probably like want to go back to being a pirate because she would be like, those were the good old days. Yeah, <laughs> she like, was like, that was so fun. Yeah. Before the world was ending and I was just like on the sea with all of these cool people and getting to meet this like queer community. Like, of course, she would want to immediately go back to that and be able to actually experience it and not have to like run from it. Yeah, and not be like, I'm literally just here as a means of transportation. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, it became more than that, but, like, you, the reason you joined them was you were like, we need passage south, yeah. and mm-hmm. that's what you got from them, and then you got so much more. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was really, really beautiful. Again, the first two arcs are the setup arcs, where we, first one is, like, learning who the characters are and what they want. Mm-hmm. Second one is learning what the world is and what's going to happen. And literally, that is exactly how I intended it. Like, there's some hints at the very beginning, but at the end of the first arc was when I was like, okay, now that they've got the ropes, it's time for me to rope them in with them and be like, here's the Omni Malum. Like, finding out about, um, I think one of them was named Guppy. Like, like, like the, the Kuatoa. Yes, you Plebo know, trying Plebo. to get the fish cult going and then me just killing Absolutely all killing, <laughs> like, 60% of a... Amazing. A, it was just incredible. Also, just a shout out to the bit of them all playing... Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. We might have called it like behemoths and something else, but like basements and behemoths. Basements and behemoths. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Insane. Insane. So that arc, a lovely arc, one of my favorites. It ends obviously with the main conflict with Derbuchere and Admiral Grossnot, Zola surviving the Feral Freeze original ship getting sunk, and them co-opting the uh, Requiem that mm-hmm. was um, left to them once they killed Grossnot and Derbuchere fled. Um, and then Zola found her way to the capital for arc three of Awakening. Drifton, and you're forgetting about the big scary dragon and the harpies. I know, I didn't talk about <laughs> First time I wrote music with vocals in it, and then shortly after you wrote Magic Missile for Drifton, mm-hmm. which yeah, shout out to the whole Drifton thing, which itself was like a beach episode before it, you know, before it went bad, obviously. Mine and Cesar Rose's first date, buying her parasol uh, and doing a bar brawl. Shout out to the art from Cece Rose Draws, who obviously Namesake. is who Rose is named after because Cece Rose made so much amazing art of of our uh, characters in the first campaign that we were like, wow, you have to exist in the show. And I hope that they don't think it's weird that I fell in love with them. I think that they probably, <laughs> I think the bar brawl moment, the art specifically of that, kind of proves to me that they were like, yeah, this is good. Yeah, 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 like that's good. Yeah. But, you know, obviously get in the comments if it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be tough to censor it or switch the name. But, um, I, I mean, I loved... Obviously, that artwork was incredible, and that artwork was one of the first pieces we got done for Brigid, mm-hmm. um, some of the first commission work we did outside of the incredible Saya, who has done all of our album artwork. Mm-hmm. So getting to Aurelia, and I mean, we start this arc off with Zola getting into the city. Facing the newspaper boy. Facing uh, Billy. I think it was Billy. It was Billy. Billy's the one who works at the cafe. Billy has a lot of barista jobs, yeah. <laughs> He's a professional. I have him in canon as like if there's ever an adventure, in, if there's ever an adventure in the capital, and you guys are like, we gotta go to a coffee, or there's a possibility. Bylaws there. He was in Cloud Carver Caper. He was indeed. Yeah, he was. He yeah. was up at the top. He was up at the top, working the top floor. That's his Corporate best gig. coffee shop. He moved on from his cafe gig after there was a murder outside of it, which, by the way, was you. This was you. <laughs> My head canon is 
that he got a job at the Drunken Drake with Barley after it all. And that, the next time that we go to the Drunken Drake, that Barley would be like, hi, Barley, you, you met my uh, barista. We do coffee now. Bye, We Bi-Li. do coffee with bye, <laughs> like, Oh, uh, my God. Like one of those pop-up where someone's like, they are a professional barista and people hire them to come places. As we know from the last episode, we're big pop-up people. We lo- Oh, my God. We are huge pop-up people. Pop-ups pop up a lot in the show. I was re-listening <laughs> to something earlier, and we talk about it like... Jeremiah's beef patty pop-up. Beef patties. You suggest... <laughs> in all- New York City, you have to love a pop-up. You, you have do. to search for them. You have to search Hunt for them. You for get pop-ups. alerts all the time. How many times have we seen like an infatuation article? That's there's like... literally like <laughs> pop-ups for... Pop-up. There's pop-up Instagrams for literally everything. There is. You can get anything we know this in fact because we're trying to like get our stoop sale on stoop in nyc so that we can sell all of our things um so talking about um you know i mean there's obviously arc three is kind of a two-parter right so long is this our longest arc or is you know eric says arc the longest one I think it might be the longest one. It's over 30 episodes. It's over right? 30 episodes, I believe. It's, and it's it was longer ones. than you thought it was going to be once Ashley got there, right? We did yes. so much plotting. <laughs> yes. I mean, you, well, you guys, you did so much plotting if, we, if we're being serious. I mean, the first part is you arrive, you get to the Drunkard Drake, you meet Smite, which obviously the Doppel Rat situation, another random encounter table situation with that. Absolutely threw us all for a loop. Oh my gosh. Um, and then, of course, there is, after you've already kind of teamed up with Smite, you got the Leoniel Diamond mm-hmm. for Marfin, which the clone spell coming back again in arc six. Here is when I ask you this question. Okay. Correct or incorrect, the Marfin body double is still in the sarcophagus. Um, you guys opened it and I believe closed it and that is the end of the Marf. Um, so there's a still, there's a Finn out, a kid, right? So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> I'm just saying like how crazy would it be if I, if in a future one shot that the Marfin sarcophagus uh, restarted some kind of cycle. It was definitely the first thing I thought about when I was like okay, what do I want to think about for the fuck? <gasps> There's a Marfin clone. <laughs> There's a Marfin clone. The Marfin clone. So I, I won't bring up the clone spell because we have so much to talk about. And I don't want to settle mm-hmm. too much in it, into it. But um, basically, the body has to be like, like the soul has to be like willing to jump into that body. Right. So right now, it's literally just a like fully formed child's body of Finn right. that is like soulless. Like it doesn't have an, a consciousness or soul in it. So like. I guess there might be something to that. You know, obviously it would be really fun. It would be a really fun and interesting sort of thing. But I can say pretty confidently that it probably Marfin don't want to come back. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be totally Marfin. It would be more akin to like it's the equivalent of an actual clone, right? Where you're like they are you, but also they're their own being and they did, they're going to learn their own lives. kind of thinking is it would be interesting if I don't think that Marfin would want to be like oh thank god I can like go back and be a kid and run my shop but if there were like a new Finn I mean Finn Marfin wouldn't be who he was if he hadn't met Mistra in the forest and everything would like that created Marfin so of course like if this Finn even if it were to have like the same kind of like child's consciousness it would have a completely different it would never become Marfin never become it, Marfin it'd be a different person it'd be like an alternate Mistra. universe that is just a totally different being yeah I mean hey listen there was a joke about Gorgonzola girls with 
uh, Ashley at one point playing Zola's daughter. And Whoa. And this, I think, I don't know when no, this was. No, it was Lisa playing Zola's daughter and Ashley playing Brigitte's daughter. Oh, I was I like, thought, I didn't know about that. Oh my god! Wow, my head cannon took over. I definitely <laughs> thought it was like Gorgonzola because you made it like a kid's name, like a kid's voice. So I assumed it was Gorgonzola's daughter. But, Our two daughters teaming up. Yeah. I would love to someday really cool. play Zola's daughter, like be, Babysitters Club shit. It would be like leaning into the parts of her, like as a child, but also she would have to be completely different. You yeah, know? you'd have to kind of think about. I mean, one thing that educates creating a character based on a character is how would my character's personality impact another person? Mm-hmm. And, like, how would they shift and flex to adapt to it? Because obviously that's what happens with your parents is that you have your you, but the people you meet and the people you're around obviously, like, shape the you that you are and who you become. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would love – well, you, we'll talk about that in another time, but I, that's – my headcanon definitely was that you guys eventually would be playing the kids. And that would be really funny if you were like, we're playing these kids, and then we meet another kid, and it's Finn. Whoa. Right? Like Crazy. Crazy. Now the Babysitter's Club song is stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ashley, I, uh, can I just say that I'm so glad that you came into the story in Arc 3. Once we team up, that is really where the story explodes and gets so good. Thank and you. It is really fun to play one-on-one D&D, not going to lie. Like, I love playing D&D with my partner. There's such an opportunity to, like, sculpt a story specifically around one person. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we're looking at it from a story perspective, like, Zola growing up a little bit and realizing, like, oh, this does not just affect me. Like, there are so many other people who have like been in this in the thick of it in the mud of this for For so so much longer than i have yeah so teaming up with brigid who's like very wise and old and has seen the you know rot in the jungle and everything and smite who's been doing this for so long um (laughs) (laughs) i really loved i really loved that when we talked about you wanting to be an elf you were okay with me being like well, just so you know, like elves, like if you were to be like, I want to be in terms of development the same age as Zola, you would be in like your 60s, mm-hmm. which meant that we got to have this sort of this relationship where it was like Brigid was definitely wiser and had like a lot of life experience, but also Brigid was young. responsibility for so many more years yeah. than Zola. Like mm-hmm. she's new to her responsibility and you're already kind of like wearied by it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Tell me, because obviously, like, the only thing that happens from that beginning part that I didn't mention was obviously the trick scenario, Mm -hmm. which really just kind of sent things off in a different direction in a different way. Trick stealing the shard. That was, like, the biggest plot twist of the whole campaign. One of the big, like, literally absolutely shifted. That and your death later on were the two biggest things. Like, that and also all of the stuff with, like, obviously when we realized that Brigid was going to be more than just, like, a few episode arc, Mm -hmm. we were like, wait a minute, like, there's a story to tell here and it's really fun to play with Ashley. Mm -hmm. Then it was like, oh, there's this, there's all these other things I can unlock and investigate and, like, the elemental planes and, like, the history of the southern jungles. Like, I didn't know we were ever going to talk about that because we, it wasn't Zola's focus. Mm -hmm. And then having you join the campaign was, it really opened up the world and gave us a totally different sort of perspective because obviously, like, I think when Scram was there, it was like chaos and then Zola trying to be cool while also trying to wrangle in Scram and then Zola getting an opportunity to be a little chaotic and Brigid being like, let's, we need to focus a little bit on this thing. Mm -hmm. It was a really cool dynamic to explore. I have a simp. 
Tell me it. Simp. Um, I think that Gorgonzola's bizarre, fake, illegitimate, nonsensical education was the funniest bit of our whole show. Yeah. Zola, like, the whole thing of her just... I mean, the whole reason the university thing happened was because I chose the sage background, which is when you want to know a piece of information, you know it, or if you don't know it, your DM tells you where you know you can find it. Yep. And so when I wanted more information, Noah was it like, was in the, library. the erudite study, which obviously, gosh, was there information waiting for me and a whole plane of cheese also. Mm-hmm. Plane of cheese and plane of books, the two <laughs> best places. So yep. that started the domino of Zola getting into school. I loved that we treated it as frivolously as we did. Yeah. Like the bit of like me very earnestly, like one of the very first things in my notes is my like university class schedule. I have Monday, 9 p.m. intro to divination, 4 p.m. Tuesday and Thursday, (laughs) history of magic, 4 p.m. Friday, practical casting lab, 6 to 9 Tuesdays and Thursdays, cantrips 101. Did I go to a single one of those classes? No. no. And I did. I sent out paper planes with my homework for, for no reason for like 40 for episodes. Sto- for story. For story. And for the, the reason was that it was so, so funny. <laughs> and the fact that you had to like legitimize studying abroad by like going to see an advisor and have that advisor like never scene. come up again. I took him out to lunch in really Yernenberg. Like, oh yeah, just, you to get... To get into certain things, you yeah. I just love you so much for letting me. Like, I love the um, the uh, entrance exam. That whole episode, mm-hmm. even though like I don't, you know, legitimately go to university, and me going to university really has no bearing on the story. Other than that, it sparks Zola's desire for knowledge, and really, the real university winds up being like Marfin and mine and Marfin's apprenticeship. But Field work. And the friends you made along the and way. The yes. <laughs> and also Brigid and Smite teaching me about justice <laughs> um, and caring for community and stuff. That was the real education. But the entrance exam was such an introduction to Dean Flay Chantress and this threat of the Empire. Um, 100%. Me pretending to be her with Captain Styx's uh, ring to get through the entrance exam. It's such amazing moments that like don't necessarily, they didn't have the purpose that I thought that they were going to have. And again, it was because you just knew so much better than I did what was going to happen. But you were letting me have those moments that I like loved of like magical Sailor Moon University girl, mm-hmm. but flipping it all on its head to make it like, yeah, you think this is the story, Lisa, but actually. I legitimately so badly wanted it to be the story at a certain point. But I, <laughs> I the entire time I was like, I am just like, I'm like, how do I put this? It's kind of like I threw a worm into um, the water and you, a fish, were like, hell yeah, fucking worms. <laughs> I love worms. I love worms. <laughs> and you like go for the worm. I love worm and, media. And secretly it's just because I have several birds perched above who are like, yes, yes, we will pick up the fish when it comes to the surface. You have Trojan horsed me at every possible uh, moment in the campaign. <laughs> and I, lo- I loved it. And I think it plays into Zola's naivety and innocence of being like, yeah, this is what education is, right? Yeah. Like being a homeschooled girl and having no idea yeah, having what no college reference was point. like. Uh, it's just you make a fake name and you get into university. That's what <laughs> really you do, right? Makes me laugh. You the, become someone new. The thing that really got me was that you were so willing to buy into everything working so well, and I'm sitting there being like, "This is the equivalent of you going into your enemy's headquarters and like giving them a file on yourself." Like, 
you I was like, yes, please do introduce and show yourself to everyone. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that was like a fun mini arc within this massive arc. And then shortly after that, because I believe, don't, doesn't Brigid meet Zola like essentially the day of or day after that test? Am I correct? Yes, it's the day after because the uh, day before was that Trick had stolen the yeah. shard. And we were in the Acropolis, all of that. And I'm trying to get to the entrance exam on time. And yeah, you were almost to, late. To sleep and get my spells back and stuff. And then pretty much right after that, I met Brigid, which I was just sewing Ashley when I wrote down like, all of Brigitte's. I'm like, Alvin Druid, red hair, green eyes, Veridontis, jungle, cardamom wild spine. Lago de Basso. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Ashley, getting to jump in, what was, like, your expectation going into this? Like, what did you think what Brigitte's story was going to be? And how does that compare to what, obviously, it ended up being? Yeah, you know, I don't know what my expectation was. I think that I just came in, like, wanting to have fun with you guys. Um... And I think I can honestly and candidly say that when I started the the show with you guys, I was like, I can see there might be like a hole missing with like m- it just being one PC and like Noah playing all these NPCs. And I was like, I want to spend time with you guys and I want to like play this fun game. And I don't think that I realized that. I would be playing an important role at all. Mm-hmm. And I always very much, and I think we, you know, I mean, we've talked about like yeah, how I mean, I've been, I, I felt and thought of myself as like a supporting character and not at all main character in the show. So it was more of like, I wanted to support you and spend time with you. And yeah. so, and I also enjoy playing D and D and like, I'm very much a, whereas Zola and Lisa very play very like how could we like do the funniest like most character driven thing you I had so good at D&D actually <laughs> I like play it like She's it's my job too. right like I play it like I have to do this right we have to get like the the most exact right thing out of this you know action economy and how You're can we make sure executor of wills and it is always <laughs> Noah's will <laughs> I'm always so just, good I'm always just trying to like make sure that that like the coolest thing can happen or like the most interesting thing can happen. Which I loved too, because I mean, having Noah here being like my, my adversary, obviously Noah is such an incredibly kind DM who I always know is trying to help me tell the most amazing story, but still there are cards. I must have the backs facing Noah. Right. Yeah. Ju- just to have the opportunity. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Thanks deciding that we're like, this is happening this entire episode is happening like on a yacht, right? Like, cause we're like getting bottles <laughs> for yacht. us. It's bottle service in the club. <laughs> um, but yes, having a PC here um, that most importantly sparked the deep, deep uh, competitive hatred we have towards Noah. Noah, absolutely. That was like the camaraderie of yeah. being able to plot with you was um, really such a gift, especially because Shane was always winging it yeah and And i was winging it too at that point too yeah the first two camp first two arcs were literally like how do we wing it but also define what our story is true to our characters but this was when when ashley came in i was like oh i didn't realize i could win this game yeah (laughs) wait a minute you mean that it's not just popping up at one and running away destroy (laughs) noah i want to think that like me joining the show made noah be like oh shit 
It did. It did. I, I w- have to think about this a little bit more than I was. I mean, I do think that you think of everything, <laughs> but I also think that you underestimated me at the beginning, which is fine. Wow, that shocks me. No, I just me. did Pikachu face. I just did Pikachu face. I was like, <laughs> because here's the thing. Apologies for interrupting, but I... In no world was I ever underestimating you. Even if I didn't know You're you, when very you were like, of you, Ashley. "I'm terrified." The moment when you were like, "I'm I want to play a druid, Noah," I was like, "I have to be on my game." Fear because druids are. I mean, like the the hard thing about druids is that they can do so much. So that's like where be, where the where the balance comes, right? You're like, I can do all of these things, but I have to make a choice, and if it's the wrong choice. That's the choice I made. I like to think that Bobby Blood Moon, which was the druid that were you just gonna bring up Bobby? I was was the child version of Brigid. Yes. So I was gonna say the very first campaign that we got to play together of D and D, the Wizard's Tower, that my character eventually took a level of druid just because of Ashley's character, because Bobby Blood Moon like taught Ken so much. He was a, a beastmaster ranger with mm. um, a, a sugar, sugar glider. glider named Sweet Little Dave. Sweet Little Dave. <laughs> it's Sweet Little. Dave. Uh, and yeah, I did not think I would go down the druid route. And then seeing you play a druid and being so good with your circle of the moon, wild shapes and everything. I, that was like, I feel like that was the spark of our eventual partnership as Zola and Brigid. I your totally see that. That's why I was having hard eyes at you Aww. when you started saying druid. <laughs> no, it's awesome playing a druid. I really appreciate it um, for all of the reasons why uh for all of the abilities that it gives you for all of like the you can bash things if you're an animal you can cast spells you can heal people so many situational spells to try and like help story-wise totally i think that whenever like (laughs) i think that from the day you wanted to start playing pathfinder with us like eight years ago or whatever the fuck like don't (laughs) say stuff like that i don't remember a a number of years ago so at least essentially what six years ago six years ago I think that at the beginning I was like, this is too crunchy. I can't get into this. But once everyone started finding their place, I think me playing a druid started as like, how can I help everyone else have fun? And then it became like, I'm having so much fun. The druid class, I feel like, is that class of like, the person who plays it has to be good at D&D. They have to be knowledgeable knowledgeable of how much their character can do. And they have to know how to play on a team. Because if you can't do that... You're going to, I mean, the druid can be the best at so many things so that, like, if you don't play well in a team, you're going to, like, make a party member be like, well, that's the thing I can do. And you're kind of, like, taking it over for me. And I could technically do it better, and it's unfair. Mm -hmm. But the druid being able to be like, I can help you do that thing. I could do this cool thing. And I can, like, have backup all at the same time. It's it's the people who want to play druid want to be part of a team. It's like druids are the like environment mm-hmm. of the party like mm-hmm. they are not to say like they're the background because obviously they're great starring characters mm-hmm. but you can set up so much of the environment and the situation to like give people a, a place to shine my mm-hmm. current druid that i play in noah's campaign uh has no healing spells and sometimes my party members will be like oh don't worry like seerly can heal us and they'll be like i have no healing spells no that's <laughs> not who i am that's, that's Ulick's job not what i do <laughs> yeah um but there's so much there to like 
make sure that the people don't like drown in this like world that we have and that's yeah. the druid's role i think yeah t- exactly to your point i think it started as wanting to be that for you wanting to be a supporting role and supporting noah tell the story supporting you playing zola and the podcast itself being successful because obviously i love you both so much mm-hmm. and i want this endeavor to be like the most successful thing we ever do um, but then it turned out to be like I wasn't just a supporting character there for 30 episodes and then I was gone forever like you know I came back and became like you know Smite's little girlfriend and <laughs> Smite's little girlfriend Smite's a little piece yeah. Smite's a little side piece Smite is Brigid's boyfriend they're, they're, that's his tag yeah, Smite, Smite is my little girlfriend it's like, keep, it's like Brigid keeper of the all fire Smite Brigid's boyfriend little girlfriend <laughs> It's kind of giving Ashley a Noah. It is. It is. I don't know if we did that on purpose. It's, you know, maybe, maybe. I th- here's the thing. My oh shit moment, going back to what you said, was more in kind of being like. So you're oh saying sh- you had a no shit moment. I had a no shit moment. It wasn't because like when you were like a druid, I'm like, I know I got to be prepared for you. The thing that surprised me about you was how much, despite the fact that you were there to be supportive and like utility and a guest, which is, you know, what we had initially talked about. I was so like, oh shit, there's actually so much story to tell with Brigid. Mm-hmm. And so I want to say thank you for being down to roll to become a main character because that's responsibility. And to be like, you know, the I I hadn't necessarily designed defined the emotional arc for this character and then having it emerge because of the way you wanted to play the character. That's beautiful. It so, really well did. Done. And we both kind of went through our, I mean, this is looking ahead, but Zola and Brigid both went through their like, pushing it down phases and I think with the time that Brigid was gone uh, and in the jungles and that Zola spent with Erza that was a lot of Zola like pushing it down and being like I have to be strong and not acknowledge my emotions and like be cool in front of this older character and not be like a burden and then she obviously got to like tackle a lot of that when she died and that put her in the position to be there for Brigid when Brigid went through the exact same thing yeah absolutely and it was really weird how uh, what Brigid was going through with like burnout and overworking whenever was like exactly mirroring what was going on in my life (laughs) yeah so it was a cool way to like play that out and I how I think D&D is so special in that you get to play out scenarios in your head that you don't get to play out in real life. Mm-hmm. Totally. So thank you for sharing that space with us and thank you for being such an incredible main character. We're so lucky. I was so sad. I mean, it was the right thing It was the right thing for the story for Brigitte to be like, I gotta go and help Smite, like, save mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, you that's my job. you were also having such long working hours at the yeah. time. Like, yeah. we were starting recording at, like, 9pm. It was really hard for all of us. Yeah. yeah. That it was, was really I, tough. The fact that it came out to be such an incredible arc, the fact that you guys not only, like, moved through... I mean, this was the episode... Th- this was the arc where you guys invaded the Underdark, invaded the Socket. Our best plan ever. Honestly, the I think that, that that's one of my favorite seasons, uh, not just because I joined, but because I think we have, like, all these really cool plans and the infiltrating of the Underdark and finding things out. It becomes, for me, like, one of the most interesting arcs where mm-hmm. we are starting to, like, uncover a mystery and it becomes, like, mm-hmm. there's a... Oh, I have conspiracies about this. I think it gets so much more involved and in-depth. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think if people can... Uh, I know we see our analytics all the time, so we see we can watch people listen to like the first arc, second arc. But I feel like if people get to the end of the second arc into the third arc, it's so it really like hooks you right in. I agree. Um, 
those files sleeping in the janitor's closet mm-hmm. that is like the day that everything turns for like all of the characters yeah. involved smite realizing that there's more to mistra than meets the eye like mm-hmm. brigid understanding that like the zoo had sandarius like corrupt and all of these things are going on in the jungle zola learning the word stregorede and hearing about um the coup meeting paragon mm-hmm. like that is where the story turns and we we're like oh we have like action items now we yes. know what we have to do there are people to save right over there there is mm-hmm. a dragon we find later in the day Ugh. like you finding know. np in this arc eustacia Eustace. you literally could have completely skipped that too there were so many things that i built into this world that were what things, are the that things were like, that, up until this point like in arc three like what other things did we like kind of skim over that we missed let's see um well if you had f- i mean we kind of touched upon it but the basilisk egg that zola brings to marfin obviously mm-hmm. gets given was to minis to mini yeah it gets no. given to mini um there was also i think we had talked about it on like another maybe like a year-end reflection mm-hmm. or whatever but there was obviously a lot of different tables that we totally skipped over that we like on the subway yeah on the subway and in the like at sea there was lots of other there was one thing that would have happened at sea were these um i think they were called wild sparrows i apologies future now if you listen to this and you remember (laughs) but basically it was going to be like if you had rolled it these very beautiful like rainbow birds would have landed on the ship and like whistled the prophecy song because there are these spe- wait it that does happen at one point um i don't, I don't does it, does. it maybe there is maybe i did end up throwing one in at some point or somewhere a side uh a content search or something maybe you know it might have been on like a brigade thing actually might have been I'm, on like i'm because you're from maybe my maybe your session zero because the uh, thing is i was like these little birds exist in the world that are these kind of it's in eustacea's uh, space, her garden space. Oh, you're so right. There were these like wild sparrows because they were attracted to the power of, of the gold magic. dragon, and they're Ooh, like, chills. and like they never really came up, but that was just like a little thing hidden in the background. Oh, of course, obviously the paragon stuff too. There was, like, I mean, you eventually found out that all these weird things happening throughout like the city were because you had this beholder who was like warping reality accidentally. Oh my gosh, the way that when I was walking into the socket for the first time or the necropolis in the underdark <gasps> like with Smite, feeling like I was being watched and the book and the beef patties and the figurines appearing, that almost drove me to madness, Noah. <laughs> like the moment that I was like, I don't know what's happening right yeah. now. Like, and I we, can't and figure this out. We kept doing like checks on the goo and slime and stuff. And Noah just kept being like, people's watching you. And it's like, what the fuck? What the fuck then when we meet, right we now? meet. Um, My favorite kind of thing in D&D is like a thing that it's like a background that once you know what it is, you're like, motherfucker, well, that the, shit. But the, when you don't know it, you're like, I why are you doing this? Yeah. Like, is how is this even related? Well, the thing was, like, once we then meet Paragon, and Paragon has, like, a bazillion eyes, we're like, oh, that's what's watching us. But in fact, it's not really actually that. It's Mistra. It, it's, it's like, the wild magic, like, all around, and all the shards and crystals. In the, the Underdark, like, it's, like, an actual action, effect, right? actually. Mm-hmm. It's, like, in, in that specific area, it happened to be, like, Paragon is, like, it just creates... It's The reality of it is... 
the paranoia of a beholder is so intense that even being around it makes you paranoid. Right. So even if they're but not the watching But the warping you, of reality is like a physical effect. Yes. And I felt like that was also because the weave was like ripping apart. Yes. In fact, that I is mean, spot on. Paragon existing is basically like, wasn't that the malediction was kind of also happening because all of these like aberrations. One of the things, out? yeah, was absolutely because like you're spot on. If you think about picture magic as like the, if you've ever seen those images, Images about gravity where they put like the earth and the moon and the sun and they create like a gravity pit like a so to speak yeah like a sinkhole in this net they've created that's what magic is like in my mind and so when you have creatures of great magic they weigh heavier and their pit is bigger they and so like spot on magic. yeah they can like fuck with magic and so paragon's whole thing was that she essentially was a, like a sun-sized weight in the magical are field are you willing there. to talk about I was going to say, Paragon is. let's talk about I Ashley's think conspiracy. Ashley's conspiracy. It's time to talk about the best Ashley's conspiracy corner of all time. Which Noah has been telling us for almost, I think, a year and a half now, maybe two yeah. years, that Ashley had early on nailed a fucking conspiracy right in the head. And we had no, no idea, idea what, what it was. was until after the finale. Literally Saturday night at like, what was it? 1 a.m. 1 a.m. <laughs> I think we have to sing the theme one more time before we reveal this conspiracy. Set it, Ashley. Ashley's conspiracy. Yes, 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 yes. So <laughs> let's the best talk. one ever. Our best one yet. Uh, I mean, tell us, Ash. Fuck yeah. Noah. Yeah, actually, you know what? I really shouldn't. I believe that I don't you remember can, saying it, so I'm just going to repeat what you said last night. Okay. I, I was like, I assume you can say what I said to you pretty correctly. So, go so ahead. my conspiracy uh, at the beginning uh, when we first meet Paragon or start thinking about Paragon is that Paragon is Groomsh's other eye that was plucked out by Corellin. And cast into the astral sea, right? That is correct. Basically, during their duel, like it's like he slashed the eye out, and it went like spiraling out into reality, it and became Paragon descended yeah. to Paragon. It is so insane that you guess that, and it makes so much sense. Yeah. And I know that it is like a beholder's nature, just in the Dungeons and Dragons manual, to be like paranoid and crazy. But like the idea of that. Like, Groomsh has all of these. He's, like, the ultimate, like, control daddy, right? The He's conquest. Like, yeah, I have to be in charge of this. The people all have to be mine. You're my soldier. You have right. to go on my path. Right. And then, like, this piece of him that gets knocked from him, all of this vulnerability with, like, being the uglier brother and Corellin being, like, better than him at battle and no, him knowing magic and stuff like that and that the piece of him that gets knocked off is this piece that is like so desperate to be liked is not like affirming authoritative control but like embittered grappling for control mm-hmm. oh my god Noah yeah oh, really you. good yeah, yeah. really thank good you. so tell us more about what happens after the eye is cut out and flung into the astral sea so the eye is because again it's uh, the outer planes are hard to conceptualize, but essentially picture like the material plane is where physical matter exists. Atoms exist. You go to the ethereal plane. That's where like ghosts are. That's where things that are matter start to become 
like immaterial. Mm -hmm. Then you go beyond to the astral sea and the astral sea is like dreams, ideas, thoughts. That's how if you as a material being were to like astral project, you would essentially be witnessing these very lofty sort of conceptual things made visual and physical mm -hmm. for your mortal mind. Mm -hmm. And then obviously there's these portals throughout the astral sea that lead to the other outer planes like the nine hells, which is where evil is uh, lawful evil is made material and you have like Elysium where it's like Somewhere lawful good. I never good. made in this campaign. We I never did any kind of like hell or Shadowfell or stuff. Um, Shadowfell we came close to but the reason we never did any of those other planes was because they're behind Sacred Seals. Right. So I was like there's no, the one thing I can't do unless you went through Marfin's doors because he has little tiny doorways into different realms right. was I was like they can't just go there like if you at any point were like we want a plane shift to nine hells I'd be like would have been rejected yeah like you would have it would either be rejected or I'd be like you need to have all the components and like, like no place ritual. and like all these things yeah so um, basically the eye of a god which is a being that is again beyond our mortal comprehension something that transcends matter and like existence is cut out and launched into this dreamscape where it becomes warped and like changed and all as you so eloquently said like all these qualities that existed within it become exacerbated and like mm -hmm. shifted in you know the most wild and most unpredictable ways mm -hmm. and then that created a beholder and then beholders, according to the dungeons, you know, in according to legend, according to legend, and according to to the monster Manuel, um, the That's my name. monster Manuel. I, can't, I don't know why that just gave me like gender euphoria. Monster I Manuel. I literally changed my name to Monster Manuel. So I, someone out there exists with that name, <laughs> and I, I want them to be a fan. So basically they say that like beholders only are born, like not only, but they are often born from other beholders in that the power of a beholder to warp reality becomes so real that when they finally do sleep, their dream becomes real and they are always dreaming of enemies and people out to get them. What would be the worst thing to dream of then? another beholder they Whoa. hate they hate other beholders oh, interesting they're not friends they, the one thing they're like the one the thing one i hate thing the most beholders, beholders are an all buddy beholders buddy. beholders <laughs> definitely aren't buddy buddy you know what i mean and so basically the dream creates a beholder and then those two beholders fight right. and the one who survives becomes the beholder of that lair and so Whoa. paragon descended from the eye having warped and dreamed and warped and dreamed and become Whoa. what it is oh i see i see yes sorry you were gonna say something i was just envisioning us doing this as like a panel for all the people coming to our party tomorrow that are captive audience and we just <laughs> say things like beholders aren't all, all buddy buddy, buddy. Like, what? and we're expecting them to laugh really fucking hard <laughs> yeah um, I did really love, um, I know we should move on to the fourth arc, but um, the moment where I have written down, as you were dumping uh, lore onto me, I have literally written down, Paragon, fucking beholder is the smiley face. God damn it, Lisa. Because, <laughs> like, I know Dungeons and Dragons, Dragons creature yeah, and exactly. a, a single-eyed smiley face. was like a one-eyed smiley face. It was so good to make that a beholder. Thank like, you. just the, the very simple bricks of the foundation were just very good and that is so simplistic that it didn't occur to me thank you i'm i'm glad that it i'm glad that it hid long enough for when the beholder reveal when the bold beholder reveal happened it was like 
fuck. It was like, very shocking. Oh shit. Yeah. Um, and I also want to say, like, you know, on the less plot related things, or well, less, you know, monster villain plot related mm-hmm. things, this I believe was when uh, Brigid and Smite were starting to, like, kindle a bit of a romance. Like, Smite was definitely yes. being, like, really, like, impressed and infatuated with Brigid, and Brigid was kind of like, uh, I've got work to do. I kind of so. got to go back to the office. <laughs> this is also where we found out that Smite was Priya's brother, but only through... Oh, yeah. Uh, only, only through Brigid. Brigid because Zola wasn't there. That's right. And that was a big um, that was a big payoff for me, especially with the little things that you planted about Priya. Uh, in the first arc, I ask if she's an elf, and you say... Uh, you don't know what she is and neither does she actually yeah. that like was like a tiny little thing in the back of my mind of like mm. what why does priya why is priya the only other magical girl in my town like what is that i never could have imagined that she was smite's sister and i'm so glad that we got to really uh embrace that and bring it back into the fold in the final arc me too i'm really glad that came through it was obviously like I knew that it would the moment you were like, we're going to come back to Smite. I was like, okay, well then, I know that Smite eventually, it would be silly for one, that to be found out by Brigid and then never come up. And then two, like, I know that if it did come up, you would be like, I have to reunite you with your sister. Like, that is just, it it has to happen. Mm -hmm. So, okay, moving from the incredible third arc, which is definitely one of my favorites, um, we have a brief break. We do the Brigid Baba um, two shot, yes. which was both an opener to Arc Four Heritage and also its own incredible adventure where we got to have you play a different PC, Lisa. Oh, so, so much fun. fun. So fun to have a different uh, character and to lean into something besides Zola for once. Oh my God, you're so chaotic. I did just want to say, because I forgot to mention it for the whole of the third season, that another just one of those moments that we did not expect to happen at all and that was so informative for Zola's character was killing Abel Turnpoint. Mm-hmm. That, for me, was uh, such a difficult thing to grapple with as a player and it instantly put into, like real kind of context like Dungeons and Dragons and how violent it is and what it means to like try and be a hero and be someone who also kills people. Totally. You can never get like too into the weeds with that but then like we kind of gave the space to to actually do that once an innocent person died and uh, I think that that moment even though I, I was really devastated that that happened to Zola was so um informed just all of her choices for the next 80 however many episodes yeah i really appreciate that you played the character like this like a normal human being would because like you said i think a lot of times in dungeons and dungeons and dragons you get really um you're like yeah okay i kill this person yeah okay i murder this person mm-hmm. yes okay take the life of this other being and we still do that we in do. light moments i mean the secretary battle is yeah, like fucking hilarious. insane but I think that for Zola, like, really, like, taking a life in this way is really impactful for her. And I'm appreciative that you played it like that because I think that in the moment listening and being a part of it, I was like, why is Zola, like, getting so hung up on this? This is strange. We're playing this game. And then when you really think about it, you're like, oh, because Zola's a human person who just killed another human person. Uh, yeah. And who yeah. also then from that moment is looking back and being like, oh, like my girlfriend is drought like every single drought that I killed like were they just another person you all know? of the even like we've talked about how the centurions and like the army of the golden fist in 
general, they are people who are like loyal to really like xenophobic, offensive ideals that are dangerous and mm-hmm. toxic. And so like you fighting them, you're like, it's they're gonna kill me if I don't kill them. So, you know, that's the way it unfortunately has mm-hmm. to be. But at the same exact time, when Abel was killed, it made you really think about like anytime I'm not just slaying like a mindless beast or like a an aberration that is literally a an, like it will never change and it desires to kill me mm-hmm. it makes you really think about it more and I think that like D&D can be fun and mindless and it should be but also especially when you're killing other conscious creatures you should be like well if I'm playing a character who gives a shit about it's that human, yeah. like they should I give a shit about this It's if my character's like I play Grunk the half giant who doesn't have a morality and doesn't really care about it it's like then that's totally fine squash yeah, some heads man but like if you're like I care my character has at least some sense of like yeah. respect for life grew up for 18 Boom. years never holding a sword in her life or killing anyone anyway it just came up because as I was scrolling through to the third arc I saw um, you know the how it ends which is me leaving smite and giving him the able turn point fund and the money for um i forget how i'd even gotten all of that money how did i get all that you money you acquired again? money throughout many adventures through the omni yeah. and stuff there I was some acquired treasure a opportunities. large amount of yeah. like 2000 point. gold plus and i was kind of trying to think about like i've never really been rich in a D campaign and it didn't really sit right with me that Zola would have all this money sitting and for me to spend it on stuff like potions and stuff I thought it would kind of like cheapen like the fact that she's so like winging it and so I was like whenever Zola has had a ton of money I have been like she should like give this away and find some way to make this a character moment instead of just being someone who has like a thousand platinum in my inventory. And you're just like, I'm freaking rich. I can do whatever I want. We don't really do a lot of like buying of components and shopping stuff. We did it first, but we eventually were like, that's for radio. It's not as interesting. And also Zola's character isn't the kind of character who's like, I desire to be shopping and making a lot of money and stuff. So it was a good choice. I didn't have a lot of potions in this whole campaign. There were a couple times where we had potions but ultimately I think that it's a little more fun and high stakes if you don't have as many things to rely on in your inventory and if you have a healer it's kind of like you're depriving a role you know what I mean like it's cool that Brigitte could do damage and Smite can do damage but having a character who's like I can come over and heal you is it, 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 there is meaning to that turn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, moving from arc three to arc four, we traveled to Balderheim. You escaped Trick, who was impersonating Smite. Um, you went. You saw through that really quickly. Saw through that so <laughs> the fast. The first time. Um, and then you got to Balderheim. You met Erza. You met Pat. Shout out, Pat. Um, <laughs> and we also, like, you know, each kind of arc, you were paired with someone who kind of had a different role. In the first arc, Scram obviously was like the kind of first young friend and same with Priya it was like two different sides of a friend group we have the one who's like let's fucking go wild and the one that's like um maybe we should ask permission first and you know Mm -hmm. like Zola being in the middle there of being like well like sometimes I want to go wild but sometimes I kind of see what the one who's being responsible is saying Mm -hmm. and then we got figure out like her role and if she's gonna yeah lean into being responsible or not exactly and then in the second uh, in the second arc you had Captain Sticks who was kind of a like big sister role who's like someone responsible but someone who also is like 
I'm going to let loose because I'm not a fucking full-fledged yeah. adult in that way. I think, honestly, even, like, even though Captain Six, you say, you know, she is around our age, I think that she was definitely a mother role for Gorgonzola. For sure. I think that Zola setting out and wanting to find her mother and then finding this, like, really cool, battle-savvy, like, Admiral Six is, like, without knowing her mother, Zola would dream that her mother would be like Captain Sticks, like mm-hmm. carefree and like whatever, like my way is the fucking way and otherwise take the highway. Obviously, Sola's mother is a lot more like neurotic and um, a, a lot, n- not to say has more dimension, but was um, like beaten down by like her past. Yeah. Um, and I she think had a the, different sense of responsibility too. Yeah, yeah, Zola instead was like picturing her mother as like this wild, like, oh, my mom left me probably because she was like amazing and out there like fighting foes every day and mm. doing like incredible shit and living adventures that I'm. she's just waiting for me to join her and hear about her. Mm. Of course, instead she is hiding. Um, yeah. And so Captain Six was kind of like filled that little role for her. Yeah, mm. and I think that like it's like looking back now Captain Styx or Admiral Styx develops into a friend and a mm-hmm. peer. And then, you know, Smite was kind of that older brother role or your yeah. bro role, the one who's like, I got your back. Like, don't worry about it. Like a friend who's like more like the one who's in the friend group going like, I don't know what that one who wants to do a wild thing is, but like, I got your back through it. I don't, I'm, you know, oh, yeah. if we're going to do a wild thing, like I'll make sure that you're good during it. And Definitely then, a sibling role. Sibling, Zola, not yeah. ever having a sibling before and then finding someone who's like, exactly like you said, there for you, but also like willing to be a little bit crazy, a little yeah. bit grungy. Yeah. And then Brigid, of course. Definitely grungy. Definitely <laughs> grungy. Um, and then Brigid coming in and having a, another sort of sibling and or like close peer friend role and so Erza was kind of supposed to be like the first time Zola was being paired with someone who was like this person could be aligned with you but they're going to contrast you on some things that you find important that they're like unlike Captain Sticks who was like oh this is kind of a kid I'm still going to be me but I'm going to try and make a good impact. Like there's a part of me that cares about making an impact. Yeah. yeah, Whereas Erza was like, for the most part, until she learned about you, what you dealt with and what you what you wanted to do. She was like, I'm going to scam this kid. Like this kid. Yeah. Fend for yourself. Yeah. Sucker. Like this is life. And like, if you can't live it, then like beat it, you know? And, so it was really interesting to have, again, returning to an encounter table, exposing you to these like crazy sort of other sorts of, I mean, the Chromatica are like an example of like cults and like, you know, cults of personality mm-hmm. and um, the cruelty that can be perpetuated and accepted so easily, such obvious cruelty, you know, that sometimes self-perpetuates and sometimes self-corrects and mm-hmm. i mean it's very interesting like with to crystal. like with crystal exactly like you have some who are like oh i didn't like that and others who are like this is the only way i can get up you know <laughs> oh, um my like one of my first imps is that i didn't follow up with Erza in the final episode i'm not really sure what she would have done but i do think it's kind of funny that we ended up ultimately just being weird road trip buddies it is very funny and i think that and one thing i'll talk about in the um once we finish talking about the arcs is 
what will happen for your characters before if we ever do a like another big campaign for Zola, like mm-hmm. the one shots and stuff. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that there will be a revisit to that. Yes. I think that like Erza had more kind of like long term stuff to do, and I think that the moves that Zola made with Erza were important moves that will impact Emeralia as a whole a lot in the future. But it was it was like Kind of like Zola could follow up with all of the people and they were like actively doing something for the last battle. And then Zola was like, can you get the Evoker Stone maybe? And Erza was like, uh, I'll try. It was a probably really not. funny moment for me to cut. I was saying to Ashley, this episode might, 99 that is, because uh-huh. 100 not out yet. You guys have heard it 100 if you're listening to this, but they have not. Um, and in the episode, I do a ton of sound design for pretty much every single time you make a call. I'm cutting over to what the other person is hearing. Mm-hmm. So I have it like, I narrate, we cut over to Erza, who's like surrounded by beautiful people and is like <laughs> drinking and smoking and having a good time. And so you're like, life can rules. you do this? And she's like, uh, uh, I, I can't hear you. Like, like, it was perfect. It was perfect to just have one ally to be like, uh, you kind of set me up. I'm like, good. I'm good. Yeah, like, if you yeah. need anything here, I got you. But if you need me to leave town, I, I'm actually, I legally can't anymore. Sorry. So, but yeah, I thought it was really funny that you didn't follow up. I mean, you did, but you didn't like for the big battle. You were like, it's a come with me. Like, like yeah. imagine. Go um, beat the shit out of Bickerman. Get that stone. Fly that him stone. here. Fly um, him, Bickerman, here. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, like, it sounds like it's, you know, I'm, I kind of am rushing arc four, but one of the biggest things in it outside of you ter- shaping another character to see how you see while another one kind of shaped you to be, like, realistic and, like, kind of growing up a little bit, if you hadn't already started doing that, which yeah. obviously you did, you were balancing the shard during this time. Yes, this and was the season of the shard. And the shard affecting Erza and changing her life dramatically and like all of these different things that kind of we had already kicked off and like started all of these other plot things with the only Malum in the Empire and then here we started to really like send it with some like far distant plot mm-hmm, lines. Mm-hmm. And I just really loved that aspect. I love all the fun things that happened, like the snowboarding. I love all the crazy things like that happened, like you um, acts, like getting possessed and essentially like sending the shard on the journey that shaped them to who they were by the end of the arc. And it was just a really interesting arc. And it was one of the most diverse and experienced arcs I think we ever had. Even yeah. though three was like the biggest, it was so plot driven at a certain point that we didn't have like these like like I mean there was a beer drinking contest. Dick Bashers. Dick Bashers. Like there was just <laughs> forever so our worst performing episode, episode because they the took title. it down. It was we had limited. To change the title. <laughs> I literally was so I, upset by I didn't that. even have to change it. It was just that it got so few listens, so unlike the rest of our episodes, that I was like, oh my god, they're suppressing this in the album. Yeah, I remember you said to me, you were like, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna like censor it a little bit, because I think that it's literally like, getting buried. Two people had heard it for like the whole week. I was like, do they hate us now? Because we made the tick bashers. Yeah, I was like, damn, was that really the one that sent them over? And Thankfully then it wasn't. Cut to the grievous dick wound. I mean, we're bashing dicks. We've got grievous dick. What wound. happens? How do you get a grievous dick wound without you a little bash dick bashing? A dick. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I will say that uh, the arc where we meet the shard. Um, gotta say, I hated the shard. Hated the shard. 
I remember Ashley saying that to me. She was like, "Many times, I do not like the shard." And the I shard was, gave me anxiety. Yeah, because I I also wasn't in the season, so like mm-hmm. me as Brigid, like I know if I was there and like I was with the shard, I'd be like, "Oh my fucking god!" It was definitely anxiety inducing, inducing, and I think that um, Zola like being kind of uh, contrasted to to Erza as this like kid who doesn't know what she's doing has no experience and then suddenly Zola has this uh essentially child with her yeah to take care of she was so not equipped for that negotiating with it I think that it is uh beautiful how it all turned out because it is right that Zola's behavior contributed to Mistra's anger like Mistra restarts as the shard and as a child and all Zola does essentially is try to control it I mean we're confused by it and then once it does have consciousness Zola is embarrassed by it tries to control it like is like condescending to it at times because she's so out of control and doesn't know what to do but like of course that would only egg on Mistra's feeling of like oh no one appreciates me like you just want to bend me to your will like Mm -hmm. my real nature is to be this wild unpredictable thing but everyone wants to like shape me Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think it was great that you kind of like uh, unaware is put me in that position Mm -hmm. which is what i had to do to survive the environment zola had no fucking idea what to do Mm -hmm. but she played right into mistra's interpretation of humanity yeah there was a lot of like like it was like a moriarty moment because i was like it's just that's what you have to do there's no way you're not going to play it that way there's no way zola's gonna be like yeah you know what like In order to like, on fire, yeah, like fucking yeah. go crazy and destroy <laughs> shit. Like there was no way because that is also not great. Mm-hmm. But that is like, you know, there might be a way to kind of circumvent that and keep it from going wrong. But how you why, raise a child? How Zola's you, 18. Yeah, Zola's 18. Like why would Zola know any of that? And also like what Zola could have done would have been like with the shard, we are actually going to leave civilization because there's just no way that we can be like we should honor your impulses uh, yeah. and what you desire and be around other people which would disrespect the them yeah did so. you mean for the shards personality to like mirror scrams in that chaoticness Absolutely, or did yeah. you mean it to be like more of a child and did you think that it would have this kind of like effect later on when mistra became like a full-fledged adult to be like you're always trying to control me like did what what lisa just said did you envision that or was that just kind of a happy accident it it absolutely was how i envisioned it because for one thing i was like like that was already the core of that person and that personality scram was like the happy optimistic side of that that wanted to have fun limberger as i said was kind of that ego the like one trying to shape you with the rules that it has created and stuff like that. And so I knew that one, as you said, when being reborn as a child, it was going to have like some childlike wonder, which paralleled Scram. And then I also was like, I know that the far goal is, you know, what will become of this creature after all these influences. And so I kind of, I like was hoping that nothing would shift that in a different direction. And I was lucky enough to have you play the part that Zola would play in the scenario. And I was lucky enough to be like the base I had built was only further emphasized by the fact that Scram was like a chaotic force that wanted to have a good time. Mm -hmm. And that Limburger was sucked in there and could act as like a, 
manipulative parent mm-hmm. or like a manipulative kind of friend to be like, you know, like, yeah, it is kind of shitty that people are doing this to you, huh? Like, so that's I have a really question. Unfair. How would the campaign have been different if way earlier on I had dispelled magic and fought Limburger? Okay, so thinking about Limburger, if you had dispelled, you got the opportunity to dispel things at level, I want to say 10? Yeah, because that was the first upgrade of the tusk. Yeah, that beyond gave me it charges. becoming a magical weapon, which yes. is what happened at level 5. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, there was one whole possibility where you dispelled the shard and released Limburger in the underdark in the socket i had planned an entire encounter that was Mm. you if you guys were like we just we're overwhelmed we need something limburger's offering help we can do this limburger was gonna be released and then he was gonna cast meteor swarm and literally like tear the ceiling earlier kill not you guys because he was gonna he was gonna fulfill his promise he still saw you as like a fellow orc potential ally a vessel so so he was going to um like destroy the socket like ruin it like absolutely bring the roof down and then kill paragon and essentially everyone being trapped everyone any citizens trapped anybody who didn't get out any even even the people who Hold were on. Like Omni Malum people who were like, I mean, yeah, they're they're kind of all indoctrinated, but like in theory, couldn't you try and convince some people in the Omni Malum that like there's a better life for them? It was like, made pretty clear that like they had been made false promises. Exactly. Too. So like Limburger was gonna be like, doesn't fucking matter, they're not orcs, I don't care about them. Killed. Then he was gonna teleport you guys all out. Fulfilling his safety promise of like I'll get you out of here, and then he was gonna go. You can come with me if you want. I'm going north, and he was gonna teleport, and he would have met up with Ardrahan, would have linked up on that plan, and then would have essentially, you know, the the mechanics would have worked that way. You would have had Limburger alive and to deal with so him. Ardrahan would have been like much more of a threat, kind of. Yes, he would have been like the secondhand man to Limburger. You wouldn't have been able to like sneak in and kind of do your culture and stuff because they would have already known about. You yes, and I wouldn't your... have been able to kind of play the games. They that would have I been prepped for you for Ardrahan. sure. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say that the first time that I considered dispelling magic was not in the socket, but when Trick stole the shard from me and uh trick leaves the subway i leave the subway too and trick runs right and i have one turn before trick is out of sight of me and the i really heavily almost dispelled magic there because i knew it would stop trick it would be such a disruption that i would be able to get the shard back but that would have been disastrous limburger would have killed trick with power word kill would have been like same offer you can come with me north or you can stay here if you were like i'm gonna stay here he'd be like we'll meet again and teleport north and then I go to prison because. And then you would. <laughs> then it's like now there's two b- dead bodies on Zola's record. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So Limburger would have absolutely been a, a equally as big threat, but like a much more material plane present. Threat. Let's talk about if Limburger had uh cast meteor strike down the socket, it would have gotten rid of like all of the labs where they were creating the automatons. Would have set them back. Lebo, like a- set a- them a- back. Like, yeah. Which would have been good for him because he was. He, it's like, here's the thing. He was, like, the These worst factions. thing that can happen with the first might. Like, the first might was dealt a shitty hand and absolutely oppressed. So 
And like, also buy the Empire. Buy the Empire and buy the people who made the Empire what it is, the Omni Monlum. So it would have been like, yay, a victory for us at a terrible cost. It was like releasing Nula later on was like Yeah, that's a, a great example. A big cost for us to learn a little bit of information. That was kind of like uh we made a lot of gambles in this show and ultimately I think that we made like the wrong gamble mm-hmm. and freeing Limburger I think would have been like a really bad gamble. Almost worse end. than what everything else that went down in the next yeah. few arcs. Yeah. Like and I now totally that agree. Lindberger is like kind of like Mistra is different and Limburger is like cast out into the astral sea or something. If we, if Brigid then goes to make good on her promise to Promia and like, if I can go and be around Nula and dispel that magic, like what happens to Limburger then? So a very interesting question because it's kind of like at the end of the story with Mistra kind of getting like, you know, putting herself back in the weave with Marfin to repair it. The, Necromancy Shard kind of got reincorporated into the weave as well. And Limburger's spirit being just attached to that shard was, as you just said, kind of cast out into the astral and ethereal. So he still exists, but he, I would say he's more like, okay, I can't spoil anything for another campaign that I know of, but he would be a really cool warlock patron. He's like a powerful evil spirit who someone could contact and get great power from. Because a big question that I had, one of my questions here is what happens with the vacuum of power of Grumsh being gone? The mm. fact that there's an entire Orcish army in the Astral Sea. My kind of assumption was like, oh, Limburger, his soul being the Astral Sea, he would then seek to become the next Groom. Conspiracy confirmed. Just say it. Conspiracy confirmed. I mean, <laughs> the, like, mem- I it actually, feels good. Yeah, I didn't say this out loud, I don't think, but I, I hinted to it greatly when I basically slash when you sort of re- like realized that you and Ardrahan are like equally as good candidates for sacrifice in that yes. way. So like <clears throat> I was like the reason why Groomsh hasn't freed Limburger is because Groomsh sees himself in Limburger. He's like this is the one person who like in a way I gotta respect it because he's totally out for my job. Yeah. Limburger wouldn't stop. Wouldn't be a servant Limburger of Groomsh. He would be Groomsh. So upper middle management. He's seeking that he's CEO desperate job. Desperate to be the CEO. Exactly. Yeah. He is the one being like I'm gonna be the running this company someday. And doing all the labor while Groomsh just like kind of sits there and is like yeah soldiers just come and basically offer to work for me. Meanwhile, Limburger's like desperately trying to make deals that people are like scoffing at. Would Whoa. love to watch the Groom succession, succession. spin off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we know nothing about succession. Let's not pretend that we watch that show. I know that straight people watch it. Straight people I know it. that straight white guys like to pretend to be Roy or whatever the fuck his name is. Uh oh, I think my partner might like that show. <laughs> The thing is that... Sorry, it, Jacob. It's, we it's, like you We like only. you. Think of your gay for me. You're the exception. <laughs> um, I 100% agree. He is basically the one who's like, he wants to be the CEO, and he actually might just get it. If but th- And that's why Limburger and Groomsh were kind of like on the same side, but at odds. Right. Because it was like... Groomsh is like, this power-hungry guy is like, good for me, good up for to me, a point. But mm-hmm. I gotta be careful. Yeah. <laughs> He's good, but I gotta, gotta be careful. Very fun. I'm glad that... Uh, Very fun. <laughs> I have a, a, an imp, which is that, you know, I would have liked to have fought Limburger one-on-one. I think it would have been an interesting fight. I I think that maybe uh, someday a, a bonus episode or a campaign where there is like uh, 
you know, the Nannerfly effect, Nabpod style. Oh, if man. things had gone differently, getting to battle Limburger, I think, would have been a fun moment for Gorgonzola to test out her abilities on, like, you know, she got to fight Kunik and ultimately got to fight Ardrahan, who, like, <laughs> was, um, I pretty much whomped him. Absolutely. He was he, a glass cannon. He wanted to be whomped. He was, like, bonered he out for being whomped. A, a desired whompage. Yeah. All according to plan, baby. And uh, <laughs> I think that Limburger would have been, like, the the ultimate orc, uh, you know, The big boss. For Zola. I mean, you absolutely, had you not banished him and had he been able to resist the banishment, that would have been the case. He was never, super yeah. powerful. You just were like, I can't You're deal with you. not important right now. I can't. I'm glad I took banishment for that because I was like, you are so not the point right now, dude. Totally. Yeah. Tidying up, because uh, four ends with you obviously essentially defeating Anacra. Mm-hmm. Then obviously we have an incredible content surge that reveals what happened to Anacra in between <laughs> then and when Zola learns that he was really defeated. Mm-hmm. Um, you traveled the north, you met Ardrahan, you met, you saw Afinash, you saw like how much of the culture survived, but like at a great cost. Mm-hmm. You, you found your mother, you learned about the elves. I mean, this was a huge, like this was a payoff arc. We had yeah. so many build-up arcs, and this was a payoff arc, and yeah. I I loved all of it. I loved the fifth arc so much. I really, really love Kunik's character to a, a point where Kunik meant so much to me, and I wish that I think in a different reality, I would have been able to get Kunik to come with me, mm-hmm. and the story maybe would have been like a little bit different. I feel like Kunik would have fit into the Smikalite, uh vibe very much. Absolutely. I just like really loved interacting with her. I loved that similarly to Erza, we started off with a really strong whereas Erza was like, <laughs> this kid, whatever, Kunik was like actively had it out for me. Mm-hmm. And getting to move from that to like a sisterhood with her was really, really rewarding. It was really interesting because I this was another character that like Zola was like I'm elevating you to a higher role in my story because I was like everything that I had planned for Kunik all the stuff about her backstory all Mm -hmm. that was pre-planned I was like yep that's all the same nothing about that's different but you were like I want to carry Kunik around with me. I want to confide in Kunik. I, I want to use her as an ally and be a friend. know that I love older sister <laughs> characters. <laughs> well, shockingly, I gave you the perfect candidate. For yeah, that. the the podcast reflecting my life of uh, me living very very far away from my mother for my whole life, and my s- older sister being the person who took care of me and got me the things I need and was basically like a mother figure to me. And so having that in. Uh, Captain Styx and Kunik and Erza um, and even Brigid. I felt really comfortable leaning into being the little sister. I loved that you latched onto Kunik because I was. It's it's so beautiful. Everyone stop. Hit the rewind 15 seconds and listen to it again. (laughs) I really think that Kunik becoming bigger and eventually, I mean, like. The ending where it's like basically you're like, here's the, the tusk and the roll, like you're yeah. the next trigger rider, you're gonna lead our people, like huge. Can I tell you that I had my entire closing monologue pretty much decided everything that Zola was gonna do? I only realized that I needed to give the tusk to Kunik when I killed Arjahan and I looked for Kunik and you said that Kunik was in the crowd trying to like control the first might and yeah, talk she to was, everyone. Like, trying to be a leader. And I 
wrote down in this moment. You can see the only notes that I took in the last episode were uh, three lines. Dwell Shadow Shine, because I was like, oh, new character. Fuck that guy. I wrote, give Tusk to Kunik, with Aww. many exclamation points. And then also um, a line that I had thought of for the Mistra battle. You ripped your own heart out, and so you'd rip ours out as well. Oh. But I, in that moment, was like, oh, Zola like wants to become a pirate after this and go to college and have a girlfriend and like help her dad like being the Stregorede would be such a big role for her like she would have to stay with the first might she would have to like give up all of this and like become essentially what she saw Brigid become which is like sacrificing her youth for like being the role model yeah for a bunch of people and i think she really realized one she didn't want to have that she didn't want to make a mistake like her mother made with losing eustacea's egg and having that weigh on her for her whole life to the point where she hid from society and she didn't want to one day have a daughter who would be born with all of this destiny and all of this fate and such a heavy role on her hands like now instead she's going to be born with a daughter who is like wait a I minute desire to be you're a princess. telling me that i'm technically a princess <laughs> and you'll be like well not anymore i not think solo allowed. would be like if it, here's the deal here's what our family you had. better go fight kunik yeah if you want to go do il taglio like you could go fight kunik's daughter holy for shit, it holy shit but she would daughter. want to give her the choice though that the golden girls cool. kunik's daughter <laughs> gorgonzola girls <laughs> Um, so, okay, that was a very beautiful arc. I love that we got to tie in the elves eventually. I love that we have, because we have, like, kind of two kinds of elves. There's wood elves, which talk and are culturally more akin to Brigid, and then you have, like, high elves and drow, who are part of, like, an, like a dynasty, like, mm-hmm. literally an empire that stretches the entire Arctic circle of mm-hmm. Feyfall. And so it was both a fun moment to incorporate some stuff from other campaigns, but it was also a really cool moment of, like, this culture, again, is descended from Corellin, who, like, was an arch nemesis of Groomsh, who created the orcs. So this is, like, you're seeing the sister kind of the orcs and getting mm-hmm. to see the life they la- live and thinking about how, you know, when the orcs and first might lived below the mountains, they kind of had that. They had, like, they had built themselves from nothing, whereas the elves kind of, like, had that from the beginning the orcs got to where they were and then were just like flattened and yeah. forced to restart and they still w- had done great things with that but it was Literally just crazy to think about limited by religion which again the um the entire uh kind of motif of like groomsh limiting these people's view of what they can be and what they could be mm. um i just respected and enjoyed a lot of of those themes I'm very excited to, I mean, obviously we'll be exploring different themes in future campaigns, but there's certain things about like, you know, it's very interesting to think about people or like to embody a mentality of someone who's like control is better because yeah, when you can think of, you can, when you can be anything, you'll be nothing. Like when you can have any possibility, you'll get overwhelmed by them. Let me help you and come up with something that's going to be like, this fits you. This is efficient. This works for who you are and what I've seen you be able to do. Yeah. Very much like I'm like, it's interesting to take on that mentality of someone who's like, listen, I know better. Like I've seen it Mm -hmm. and I know better. And it's, it's, it's 
a story that doesn't get old to me because there's a new way for people to always think that they're the one who knows better and that they need to guide people Mm -hmm. when we've all kind of learned that even though there is oftentimes a right and wrong, the only way that you will get the best actual result from the right is if the people are coming to that conclusion themselves. If you're like, I convinced you this is correct. I shouldn't have to, but I convinced you. And that means something. Um, some simps meeting my mom. That episode is still one of my favorite episodes. So of good. Try not to die. You did such a beautiful job. I can't imagine how much pressure there was on you for me to be searching for my mom for eighty episodes, right? Seventy nine. Yeah, uh, something like that. I think lost I think and 80. found as eighty or eighty one. For you to um, have it just completely surprise me, but also fulfill everything that I wanted. Again you knew best to not make Zola's mom this like incredible amazing warrior who's been out leading the orcish people but to have her be this person who is like uniquely human inside and all of the like worries and doubt and fear that like could have gotten to Zola got to her mom instead yeah it's really it felt like there wasn't even the choice with her because I was like, if she's just like an epic hero, then like, why wouldn't she have just, even if there was a curse, she, she would have been like, yeah. I'm going to go there. It doesn't matter if I have a curse, but because she's like, well, in order to protect her, like I need to stay here and like, be a martyr. I'd be a martyr. Yeah. Like this kind of other sort of mentality that mm-hmm. is e- equally a, a part of being a hero. Like there's the hero who's like, I'm going to make the tough choices and I'm a hero. And then there's the one who's like, I'm going to make the tough choices. I'm the hero. And like there, and like she definitely was the one who was like, I inherited this destiny and, and the shame that she inherited too, the defeat that she inherited. mm -hmm. And that's what Zola got to rebel against with not being like Grimsha's vessel, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, such a good arc. I totally agree. I mean, from my thing, Simps, you, you finding the orcs and getting that like cultural moment, you finding your mother and getting that familial moment, um, you encountering the elves and like interacting uh, with people. Dr. Blustry, Blustry, or, uh, and, Blustry and Dr. Flacone. And, and um, Fanchi. Yeah, my questions are, have they hooked up yet? Like, what are we talking? Like, how long does it take for them to U-Haul into like a tree or something? <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> Which is, it, so U-Hauling for elves takes a little bit longer because of it's their life. It's like lifespan. 20 years is considered But they're, but they're like, they really rushed into it. Like five years, <laughs> they were suddenly living together. Um, but yeah, 100%, I mean, Blustery and Fanchi are like, absolutely an item at this point okay thank god but um as we left off and though technically it's been like remedied since then um fancy blustery okay so you guys didn't get to hear this or know this but basically blustery and fancy are still in either home mm-hmm. fancy is essentially working for like the the puppet government that was put in at the time, like when the orcs took over, they were like, we're going to put this person in charge. They're loyal to us. And so Fanchi, as a member of like the secret service was forced to work for them, but obviously was secretly like going into the dungeon at night and like meeting with Archmage Pinewee and being like, here's mm-hmm. what I can report. Here's what's going on. Like right. being his eyes and ears on the ground. So Zola would eventually see them since she and Cesar Rose go to spring. Her exactly. Dad. Like they would, you would and see Quince. them and like, and also, um, um, Dr. Blustery Flocon was kind of 
in a similar way, they were like, you're smart. We need to put you like here working on things. And so when she was there, she was kind of, they were like, you know, like passing notes to each other, like mm-hmm. hiding their love. And eventually they are like freed and able to be together. So Amazing. confirmed they're together. Falk, Falcon, blustery. Blustery Flocon. Is a man. Is, uh, they're um, lesbians. They're lesbians. Really thought one was a man <gasps> the whole time. No. They're lesbians. I really I, thought that science. I thought the scientist was a man for so oh long. So when you guys were saying this, I was like, "Huh, that's so funny." I guess I technically like didn't really bring. I like mentioned her appearance and the fact that she was like a female elf in just the initial description of her running away from the goblins, yeah. and that's it. So I if you forgot about that, envisioned like envisioned him. Uh, as like long hair, like low pony, like little glasses, oh. like really similar That's to so Falou interesting. looking person. That's interesting. so maybe interesting. Maybe Falou and Flacone are related. That's my new headcanon is that Dr. Blushery Flacone is Falou's aunt. We'll see. <laughs> we will see. I also just remembered that I had... Um, my literal only like remaining question that wasn't answered was from uh, season three, so we'd have to oh, go back. Let's pop back. back, yeah, bring it back. Are you sure? Do you any wait questions? No, dude. bring it back. Yeah, because at the because like the end one. is going to be talking about the future, and I want to. We'll save a few minutes for that. Noah, who, who is the monkey? The monkey, <laughs> aka the pet. Of Dean Flaychantress is the wife of Lady Delilah Lila of Risenwell. The you mon- knew? I think we- I knew that the monkey was somehow connected to Delilah of Risenwell because when uh, Flay like tightened her grip on the leash, Delilah looked like anxious or angry. So you knew the connection, and I, I explained some kind of blackmail going on there. Like it was either her sister or a brother or something. I love her. And I not love Kittle's her. mom. Not Kittle's mom. Sure. Basically. Who and was Kendall's mom? I will ex- I will say that actually. That's another good one. Okay, so first, the monkey. Essentially, the story there is that, as you know, the Omni Monlum went out and like you know one by one got all these city states and was like, "You're a part of me. You're a part to, of like, me." Acquiesced. Exactly. You're a part of me. You're so, Risenwell is the home of Falstaff the Joker. Ambledorth is the home of Ambledorth the Learned. For- Risenwell is the place where we never really like went or explored. Exactly. That's like an unopened door. Totally on an open door. So Ambledorth, they basically were like. Look, we'll leave you the fuck alone if you just promise to not get in the way and let us station some troops here. And he was like, sure, I'm busy because he's like a teacher and he doesn't care about politics. And then Falstaff is like very righteous and very much was like, fuck, no, these guys are bad news. Mm -hmm. And so to get to them and to make sure that he would fall in line with the Lord there, Dean Flay and the Omnimon were kidnapped and true polymorphed her wife into a monkey and so basically kind of kept Falstaff in uh, check because Falstaff who is loyal to that family to the family of that city they were like we can't do anything she has my wife and 
Falstaff was like, well, I don't want your wife to die. I respect that. We will do what they need us to do. Interesting. And so when we killed Dean Flechantress, what in your mind happened to the monkey? Noah wouldn't tell the me. The true polymorph would break? Noah true, said no. I, no, no, no. True polymorph is, stays. I okay. said some, I said, well, that's like a question of itself. I said, most likely the monkey was found and the monkey is still a monkey. And then the last thing I said, I made a joke. I was like, yeah, there's a there's a cage somewhere with a monkey He's skeleton. Dead. It's a skeleton. <laughs> a so boo. A boo. <laughs> it's a boo. It's a boo. <laughs> roses, so, familiar roses familiar in our Venice Olympic <clears throat> Nights campaign. So basically, that's the story of that monkey. And yes, you could, in theory, save that monkey. Wow. Interesting. And okay. Then, so Kittle's basically, mom, that's the story of that monkey. That's the story of that monkey. So Kittle's mom is Lady Niblia Pamplemousse. She is the leader of Gigglevale. She is the lady oh, of that city. She joined the Council of Lords through Sula de Diddlepis, the biggest industry like owners there, the Diddlepis family. Right. They were like, she's like, I'm managing the state's the statecraft of Gigglevale. They're like, we're handling the industry, the money, the mm-hmm. tech. And so basically they were like, if you control the Diddlepiss family, you control Gigglevale. Mm-hmm. Doesn't you don't need Lady Nibley on the council because we've got um we've got Sula Basically Dead. got like Jeff Bezos. Exactly. Like you don't you don't need Joe Biden. You don't need Joe Biden, you have Jeff Bezos. Interesting. Exactly. Okay. Wow. So that's now that's we know. Solved. Now we know. Um, so going so into Kittle's mom is the monkey, right? Um, yes, Kittle's mom is the monkey. Kittle's mommy. Kittle's mom is the leader of a of a city state, and her father is a wild pirate man who actively sails the seas. Uh, yeah, I'm desperate to uh, jump back to that love story. <laughs> he was a sailor stopping in port, and she was a stressed out diplomat. <laughs> All right. Wow. Um, uh, you know, okay. Sounds like Levitt and Smite. I, it sounds like love this one. It honestly is closer to that than other relationships. Also, as I explained, gnomes have like a very interesting sort of familial situation where they often are living in like a polyamorous sort of family. So there's like multiple family overlaps. So that's why Sick. Kittle Kittle is like the Happy only Pride. one from that union from the Lady Niblia and from mm-hmm. him. But there's obviously like a moon um, Moonshine family. There's a McGreeby family. There's a... You mean Moonsong pa- family? Oh, yeah. There's a Moonsong family. Moonshine Simon. There's a Moonsong family. There's a McGreeby family. There's a Pamplemousse family. And they all kind of... The circles intersect around Kittle. Kittle, who is now a computer. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I did list in the things of things that we cleaned up. I was like... Kittle, because <laughs> we're not just gonna. We I mean, unless we get there, and she's like, "I'm really happy. I really don't want to be in a gnome body anymore." I'd be like, "Okay, Kittle, that's fine, but you are going to come to the headquarters of the acolytes of the Smikeolites, which, assuming now they're no longer the acolytes of Mestra, but they're the, the Smikeolites. I think that there's a, there's a yes, absolutely, that's true. Uh, Ashley's smiling big at that. <laughs> um, I also think that like we already have. Like Warforge now exists in this world because of the Omnimalum's experiments, and so in theory, you could put her mind into a body, and Ooh. it would be alive. My imp is that we never managed to reunite Gronk with his brother. With his brother, I would have liked that, but I feel like that hopefully is something that Moss would then work on, with Moss being um, a druid and also now like helping the goblins and the, you know, oppressed people of Aurelia. Hopefully that would be a thing that he would then go on to, like, 
maybe Moss and Kittle the computer once she's back in the headquarters. What a pairing. Maybe that is like their pairing is what figures out how to turn the microchips back into souls. Yeah. We'll see. Speaking of the microchips, the souls, Glockied, let's talk a tiny, tiny, teeny baby bit about the Cloud Carver caper. I agree um, because... I have right here, gray babies, question mark, question mark, question Some mark. unanswered questions. <laughs> Some unanswered questions. Okay. The gray- Keep it quick. Okay, I'll keep it quick because I do want to... We'll touch upon Marfin and we'll touch upon the end and then we'll talk about the future campaigns. This is about when the Cloud Carver caper happens. Exactly. So perfect. Um, so... Is the gray babies the only question you have from there? Yeah, I'm I'm curious to learn a little bit more. I know we you mentioned to us that it was basically like uh they were trying to um to develop a like a prescient being they could use like to like see in the future. Force, yeah, but they yeah. couldn't get it to stop saying, which obviously the love apocalypse golden wars was the story of the campaign. Yeah. I would love any more info about that. Okay, so oh man, I wonder if I can find it really fast and reread it now with the context of this campaign. Oh, I can yeah. probably find it in my notes. Um, I have it too. If you guys, okay, yeah, if you guys have it. I'll just look up Apocalypse in my notes. Um, so, I, just because I don't think I said it, I, just because I think I didn't say it on air, the Grey Babies essentially were um, Glockheed's attempts okay. using tech and knowledge that like Marfin had kind of accumulated that they had like right. kind of stolen and learned of. So it was Glockheed that it was, was Glockheed kind of that made them. Of the gray babies. Exactly. And so the gray baby, did they use any specific body or was it just like straight up flesh they conjured? There's nothing that was modeled after. It was um essentially the learning of the clone spell. Like the the creation of that in this world to essentially start to then create magic jar and to create the automatons like that whole scenario was part like part developed alongside the gray babies and so the gray babies and there are multiple were essentially just random people because for a long time I really was because of how we were finding about out about it during the Marfin arc I really thought that they were like Marfin's failed. Clones. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. His like endeavoring to try and make a clone of himself. Right. I really was like, why would Marvin just uh, keep all these fetuses? And just jars? abandon them. What a gray moral character. The stuff in <laughs> so what a straight man thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> the, the stuff in his outpost, which did have some parallels to that, was essentially again that was partially experiments, partially learning about the spell clone, partially learning about magic jar. It was, again, it's kind of like parallel research to what Glockheed went to. They, like, bounced off each other to create things. In the same way that, like, the space programs of the world were created from, like, NASA and the Soviet Union kind of being, like, bouncing bouncing off each each other. So, like, exactly. So, like, Marfin's stuff kind of did end up being that kind of freaky shit, but he definitely, he didn't go so far in it to make the point where he was like, I've created a full being here. like, use this for something. And I'm gonna use it. Yeah, he created a monster, but nobody wants to see (laughs) monsters no more. (laughs) They want shady. (laughs) Can you go, you wrote something down for us? You wanna read it? Magic, the world, it's people, betrayal, love, apocalypse, love, golden warriors, sorry, myth, 
something time golden warriors apocalypse love and so do the golden warriors ultimately because i was really in between if the golden warriors were referencing the automaton or if the golden warrior was uh, aletheia anesthesia or it, both it was the automatons okay. it was a literal like that was this baby was like i'm receiving a full vision and i'm only able to give one words to describe them but a hundred percent like i'm seeing auric army and so i'm seeing like golden warriors crazy the way that that blew our mind in cloud carver caper and then we just because really it got was no a, answer <laughs> because it was a fluke because we walked in there and we wouldn't have even mm-hmm. said anything yeah, i was we just like, like that weird experiments great baby so you guys were like excuse me about the great baby and i, I was like say, i should i should have realized i will say too the reason why i was drawn to the great baby is because there's great babies in um in the the gray baby in unsleeping city unsleeping city so mm. i was like oh gray man, we got a gray baby too <laughs> okay tell me about the gray baby nod right gray baby was actually i will <laughs> i'd love to shout out to metro 20 in this moment because i love them but it was a it's a jojo's reference <laughs> there was, there's a there's a baby in there that has a prophecy and i was like already oh, kind cool. of working on some stuff that was in line with that and i was like i love that and so I kind of was like, I'm gonna borrow. No, it's gonna make me watch JoJo's Bizarre Adventure when we move to Amsterdam. <laughs> so, uh, so she will know eventually. Soon I will. Know. Only four seasons to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so jumping towards the end of everything, obviously, I mean, Arc Six and Arc Seven are kind of intrinsically connected. For sure. We learn there are two parts of the same story. Exactly. <gasps> we have the you know shot and chaser, so to speak, because the it certainly was a shot. It was I a certainly shot. Was Pickleback. Shot. There was it was a pickleback, baby. The fact that I mean, there was all these there's obviously again return to the randomness. I simp for that. The fact that I created such a big dungeon, meaning that we could in a one shot or a mini campaign play that and have a totally unique adventure I just based wait. on what it is. My blimp. My blimp. Yeah, if there I have only two blimps. One is any future campaign we do, and the second one is going back to Marfin's mansion because I love that. So fun, so cool, and kind of like the dungeon that you were in in Obscura as like a very broken down, like uh, desecrated and demolished version of like a wizard's tower, yeah. you know? And so it was fun to see uh, what a place like that would be with like an active wizard who's still adding to Maintaining it and, and adding it. Juggling all of the plays. Um, I also really, really liked finally, again, we had a payoff arc and the payoff arcs had to keep coming. The Forgotten Memories, which is arc six, was entirely about finally rewarding and revealing what was going on with the world and what was going to happen. And though there was still some unexplained stuff about how it was going to happen, everything basically lined up and you guys got to learn the full story. You got to learn about um, both your roles in that story and also how that story is separate from you. I mean, like the story of the Stregorede happens at the same exact time as the Marfin stuff. Mm -hmm. And the story of Promia happens at the same exact time as the Marfin stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's just different adventurers on different stories, leading different lives. But all intertwined. But all intertwined, even in ways that they don't even know. They're holding hands across the this table. This is where I began to realize that you were going to kill Marfin. The amount of time that we spent in Marfin's mansion and how much you were revealing to me about Marfin. Marfin being in all of our camp, many of our campaigns that we have played so far. I This is where I really realized like, oh shit, this, like this is the end. Like Noah across their entire D&D career has been telling the story of Marfin and Zola's story is like the end of Marfin's story. 
And I began to desperately find a way to figure out how to not have it happen. How do I make him live? And I'm like, I'm sorry, the mentor must die. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about that when we get to Arc 7. Yeah, because there's no stride gate or building or whatever that wouldn't just be destroyed by an earthquake. So I think that you secretly wanted Marfin to die. Ashley was really um, wanting to destroy. By the way, if that had worked, which I said to Ashley, I don't know if you How many hit points did this tri gate have? 150 hit points. It would have taken three rounds. You took rounds. a third of it. You took a third. One round. And you would have had you been able to hold concentration on it, slash had you guys held off the invasion and held concentration on it, you would have destroyed it in two more turns. But it just didn't happen early enough. And that I won't was, make it about me. And that's, but that's part of that's part of D and D is that sometimes you're like, this move actually is the solve. Fuck, it was the solve two rounds ago. Two rounds ago. Okay, yeah, like true. now I have to do. Now I have to react. And what's the best solve for this now? All right. Are we talking seventh arc? Let's talk seventh arc because honestly, all the stuff in the sixth arc we'll probably get to talk about again when we inevitably run that campaign. Yeah, and also the conclusions. I feel like everything that the sixth arc gets rolling ends in the seventh arc. I will say you all remember it. Uh, the sixth arc, it was really, I think, interesting that we did not find NP, mm-hmm. that she was like already gone. That was not what I expected. I expected for the whole thing to end up with us finding her. And when we didn't, I was really like, whoa, Noah has a story here that I have not yet figured out. Like, or what, considered. Yeah, what this could be. I really was, when you guys were like really focusing on NP, I was like, I uh, the only the best case scenario is that you find the cottage and you realize she's missing and then you're like okay so she's out there and I think that you kind of got to that conclusion when you eventually had talked to trick. a butterfly and to trick mm-hmm. where you were like oh she's on the move she we may somewhere. not find her yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. and I think when you guys accepted that and we're like well no matter what we're in here and we did w- like want we're to here find at Marfin's so we gotta go in yeah absolutely I will say that like. Somewhere in the near future, when we're on a panel discussion that I'm moderating, asking you questions I love that. about um, the magnificent mansion, uh, we'll get into it more. But I would encourage any, anyone listening to this to just listen to the afterlifes of that. Uh, oh yeah, of that arc because it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. There's lots of really great conspiracies there too. I'm like, I mean, and those are the ones where, and this is why we're not going too heavy into these arcs because you just just did them. them It was the payoffs. Yeah. Like you, in the afterlives, that's where we basically really went into Mm -hmm. each nitty gritty decision you guys made. I'm really glad my simp for this arc was that trick was able to have this kind of like a toe moment where they joined our party under like an air of falsehood and then they were obviously scared away from it when like the shard they found out was missing and we had the kind of like brief moment of like a little bit of a face-off and i think that the fact that we did not more like heavily pursue trick or like really try to kill trick in that moment um just meant beautiful things for the seventh arc Mm -hmm. i have not been quiet about it in the afterlife. Trick is one of my favorite characters. I think they're so fascinating. I love their um, place. I love enemies to lovers and enemies to friends. Yeah. And, uh, Zuko and Aang, like that yes, dynamic. Exactly. Like, it's like Sasuke so and Naruto. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having that and having the Trick plotline turn out the way that it ultimately did in the seventh arc was such a boon to me. It, many things in this campaign went differently than I 
I hoped or thought that they would. Not that they turned out how I hoped they wouldn't, but they turned out differently. Totally. But the trick thing I always was like, the the best would be if, like Zuko and Aang, we got to have Trick be like actively caring about the world and helping us. So I was so happy that that got to happen. Yeah, and I'm really glad it got the payoff of like we didn't have to bring Trick to the final battle. We gave them their own. Gave life. them their own. The life. whole point was that they shouldn't be at the final battle. Yeah, you because know? yeah, because it's like, they could die there. Yes. Yeah, and and also it's like the whole time when they were consumed going after the shard. Like why. Would it be a good thing for them and their Why story and quest if they should br- go to the shard in the final battle? Like it makes yeah. them it's the it's like the person who's like they their whole life they've been trying to like win a medal and the one opportunity they get to they're like, "You know what? It's actually I I don't want this. I want to instead I want a something queer else. relationship. I want to be yeah. in a gay relationship and with a pirate." That's what the, choice in life is all about exactly my simp for uh seven six and seven uh in reference to trick is that um trick and uh tinder dick is that zola has to explain not once but twice that the shard is its own being and that you can't have it and that no one really <laughs> understood i'm like it's a god no, 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 no. You're Gangren, not understanding. Are it's you a god. stupid? Gangrene was that. And this is another thing. Because the, the other thing are I want to. fucking dumb? The other thing I want to touch on after this is Brigid and Smite, obviously. Yes. But before we do that, the I want to jump in and say that keeping Gangrene the Corrupter behind my screen for so long. Were I, you shitting yourself when we thought that he was Slimberger? <laughs> I, w- I was like, how do I tell them no without revealing things? I was like, you just got to let them have their that conspiracy. That was really difficult for for that to be shut down. I mean, we so thought that that was the moment. I just thought like, you oh. You asked your mom. You literally brought yeah. it in the game and we're like, hey, mom, do you think this is true? I mean, shout out to Pat. Like, mm-hmm. we, all three of us, were, when we landed upon this conspiracy of gangrene being Limburger, it made so much sense to me because I was like, Limburger is the corrupter of the orcs, like and the and shard, the shard, the gem I'm dying. He's the corrupter. Like he and Nula are both corruptors of yeah. life and death. Uh-huh. I was like, this makes they even both are green. green. <laughs> like, and we know how sense. Noah does color shit. I and do when love it got color shot shit. down, I was like, well, I know Noah, and I know that Noah wouldn't just have like a missing dragon right. for no reason. Right. So th- that's when I really started spiraling and yeah. being like. Who is Gangren? It's and, the monkey. And this is why, like, so, okay, Gangren being, like, Gangren was intrinsically tied to Scram's story. And so that's one of the reasons why, like, really? you know, yes, Tinderdick. Tinderdick Tinder was right. the shark. And so, like, this is the thing. In a normal D&D campaign, like, if we were just, like, at home chilling, there would there's just as much, many DMs would probably be like, you know what, that's better. Let's switch it to that. But I was like, we have like the world has already been set in motion by the fact that Gangren is Tinderdick searching for the shard and all that. Yeah. And so like even when you guys were like that, I was like, I have to hold strong. His story is different than this. And ultimately he's called the corrupter because he corrupted the dwarves. He corrupted the dragon lords. Mm-hmm. He's conniving and the way he acts is always behind well, the scenes. He be corrupting. He be yeah. corrupting. Yeah. I have just no did. doubt. But you're right. It's yeah. it's when there was all these parallels, it was like I was like, Oh my god, they have every reason to think this is it and I have to be like it's 
not, and I'm sorry, <laughs> and I wish it could be, but it's it's good the way it is, I promise. It was fun for us to think we had you so figured out, yeah, and then totally. for you to be like, oh, interesting. interesting. In that moment, we, said we were like, like, we were so what ashamed. The fuck? We're sitting here so ashamed. <laughs> I was, I felt really bad, but I was like, I have to squash this as character. I also want to say this is another thing that I always forget about, but Ashley. Um, witness me actually fuck that up. We were talking about Tinder Dick in an Ashley's Conspiracy Corner, and I cut this because I didn't want people to have any sort of inkling, but I said at one point, I was like, gangrene, blah, 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 and she's like, gangrene? I thought we were talking about Tinder Dick. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. There's just so many names in my head. And I was like, (laughs) <laughs> like, holy shit. You pulled I just, up me revealing that the dryad is the wizard in Obscura. <laughs> and, and me and me saying, like, when I, I was like, I said trick, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I meant to say smite. smite. Like, I was like, oh, it's so funny. So My friend Noah makes little mistakes. Like Oopsies, <laughs> Noah's so sorry. And they make mistakes. I was like, no, I made a mistake, and it's so much worse. Um, but yeah, so I'm glad that that kind of payoff happened, and I'm glad that the result of it and everything was retaking Paddlewick, retaking your homeland. The first, like, aside from Drifton and Spagliari, which Spagliari is, like, hidden, isn't really even engaging in any politics. Mm -hmm. The first freed city of the empire that will start the revolution. Very, very exciting. Um, Taking back Paddlewick was so fun. I loved reuniting with my dad, having my mom come there, showing my friends that moment where, like Ashley said, when you're in college and you get to bring all your friends home and, like, show them, you yeah. know, where are you from and what Worlds you're Worlds colliding. Finally rescuing Cicero's. I mean, we didn't, haven't talked about it, but that eight-month time jump was, like, really devastating. I watched your face when you said eight months, and it was personally, as your friend, heartbreaking to see <laughs> your reaction. You just realized everything all at once that was, like... All, who, the long list of people who are now disappointed and or terrified and or scared or concerned and like because Zola dead. is someone who was disappeared on like Zola had her mom leave and offer no explanation and had no answers like that's the thing that Zola would never do Zola having the sending stone and constantly checking in on people and being like are you good like yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the one thing that Zola would never want to do would be disappear on the world and everyone. Mm-hmm. That was heartbreaking, Noah. <sighs> well, speaking of heartbreaking, let's <laughs> briefly talk about the end. Let's talk about the heart making of Brigitte and Smite, how a relationship bloomed over the course of episodes. And I, I mean, like, I we obviously didn't get to talk about it because it wasn't in the 99th Afterlife, but, like, them finally kissing the moment that that happened. We kiss. We kiss. Okay, no, I did so A-L, Afterlife, we kiss. <laughs> when you brought Brigid in, did you think, like, oh, this character would have really good chemistry with Smite, or did it just kind of happen because you two are in love and naturally, like, you found that chemistry? I'm pretty sure it's the latter. I think it's more the latter. In the, it, I think what happened was it started with the ladder and then I was like, ooh, we have a window here because they both are fire users and that could be kind of like the first common ground. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of pitched it to you. I was like, are you okay with 
smite having romantic feelings no pressure and we definitely don't have to even get into it at all in this campaign but are you okay with this and Ashley was like yeah I'm okay with this so it got you know and then eventually obviously it became more dramatic because when you were like okay Brigitte is definitely feeling these things and smite was like I kind of want to be with you and you had to be like I'm an elf and a druid which means like not only am I just going to live a long time I'm going to live like forever so like what does that mean for us and Smite being like, well, I just want to be a part of that forever for a moment if I can only be there. I'm glad they had a realistic love story. I'm glad you didn't sacrifice Pyre to bring back Smite when you had the opportunity to Me do too. that. Yeah. I think that uh, you guys were such like a model for a healthy relationship of like y- you helped Smite be like take care of himself more but didn't change him he's still gonna be like the conspirer who like has his own thing going on yeah i thought it was pretty clear in the epilogue that like you two also spend some time apart but then like we all reunite Mm -hmm. i think it was a very good model for a healthy fantasy relationship yeah we have a lot of practice we (laughs) certainly do and i'm excited like obviously we kind of spared some details from brigand and smite's relationships because of the fact of like the nature of the relationship, but I can't wait for us to get back to these characters again and see what they've gotten <laughs> I was up to. In the bathroom, the other or like uh, after Saturday when we recorded, Noah's like, "Do you think um, Brigid and Smite would have like a baby or something?" <laughs> and I was like, "That's very cute." I was like, "Do you?" Do you yeah, think probably. so? And she was like, because I was like, that's one of those like big moments of a relationship with an elf of being like, you're going to live way longer than me. The, like the way a part of me survives in our relationship aside of your memory is us having a child together and like me helping raise that uh, child. I can't and, think about Smite yeah. dying again. It's genuinely too much. I hadn't thought about it at all until mm-hmm. the episode where you know, we... He dies. Yeah, he dies. And then afterwards, you said to me, you know, that Brigid was like, I would feel this pain eventually. So, like, letting him pass is kind of, like, the kindest thing for yourself in that moment. Mm-hmm. Rather than sacrifice... Or selfish. But, like, you would have sa- sacrificed your longest-lasting relationship for a temporary relationship. And then when Smite died, you would have had no pyre. Like... Yeah, it was the right move in that... Like, bringing him back was the right move eventually. But not doing it with pyre was, like the superior in terms of like both for your personal development and also for the eventual like the eventual coming together with smite because if you had brought smite back and pyre was gone he would have been like i why'd you do that oh my god like i've ruined something for you like this is and a he would have been like you. a gift that mishra gave to the world like now mm-hmm. he is basically like ex- brought to extinction that would have been i think something for him to grapple with too yeah. So this, I mean, wrapping things up, this story was about love. It was about stories, about About apocalypse, gold warriors, great baby. (laughs) Um, It was definitely touched upon many different things. And I think that ultimately your reading of the stories thing at the end. Oh, my God. If you guys didn't recognize that, the welcome to try not to die, the very first thing that we ever recorded. The promo. If you go to the top of our spotify page it is right there that wounded us that wounded me noah it was the first time noah starts crying when yeah i basically like the entire campaign was like a a steel trap of emotion being like i'm balancing a lot of different emotions so i'm not like getting caught up getting too caught up but then reading it and being like 
oh no and i just like couldn't get it out i really got it out but i like haven't edited it yet and i just know that i'm gonna be like oh god it hurts to hear myself like this but it was i literally i told you guys this after the session it's like i put that in that morning that morning i was like this is the like you i knew you guys were like we're gonna do a little bit of an epilogue i know lisa was Mm -hmm. like i have a lot written i know ashley was like i have some notes like i don't want to do anything too big that's generous (laughs) what you said (laughs) you had some notes you had some notes i was like well what am i gonna do i need to add something and so i was like oh this works this is what i want i remembered long ago when i wrote this that i was like i want to start every campaign with this Mm -hmm. or like a variation of this and so yeah it was it was very beautiful and it, it was it made sense when I put it in? I was like, okay, this had to go here. I was gonna say that uh, I noticed that you changed it slightly, ever so slightly. Yeah, the to ending. be like almost a little bit more um, like uh, sophisticated. Yeah, it's like it starts with the same few lines, mm-hmm. and then once, and then eventually it starts talking about this story because that's the also the thing is like I basically had copy pasted it and then was like. Whatever the lines at the bottom here, they're like, our story begins in Fayfall. I was like, we know where the story begins. This is where the story ends. And so I, I wrote in some lines there. Very beautiful. Speaking of crying, cried the hardest that I have in the whole campaign. I don't uh, often cry during episodes. I, actually, I feel like if you don't mind me calling you out, you tend to cry more. Oh, I get there. I get uh, that real quick. Actually, cries will just look at me sometimes and start crying. And <laughs> That's like, very true. Stop. I definitely feel it and feel very emotional, and I th- I think heavily. And a lot of times, I will like I'll be thinking about the episode later in bed, or like you know, just like thinking about what could happen next, and I'll cry there. But I haven't like cried on Mike a lot. But Marfin dying for me was such. I'm crying right now thinking about it. <laughs> it was such a devastating blow. I think that for Zola to have gone through all of this and to have finally gotten her mother figure, and Johnny, of course, is her father, but was a very kind of like, I think, hands off emotionally and, yeah. uh, you know, kind of like a la 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 kind of father. When it- I know you are gay, but I'm not going to say anything about <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. And meeting Marfin was like for Zola having that father figure who was going to like nurture her becoming everything she ever wanted. I think that I didn't say it during the epilogue, but I think that that would be such, such a blow for Gorgonzola to have like not to have one gone through all of this effort to save him in the sixth arc and been so worried about him and then to lose him anyway him giving her his spell book like ashley said like giving your things away before you die the fact that mistra took the book that i had thrown into the air and then zola after marfin dies like racing through his spell book to try and find something to save him nothing being there and just throwing the book angrily behind her it also didn't say this during the epilogue but I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe Zola would have gone back and, like, picked up that book, but maybe Zola would have, like, walked away from that book, like, feeling the anger from Marfin, and I think maybe that spell book would have then been discovered by the, like, residents of time, essentially, Mistra's, like, people who lived on Edgefall Island, that Zola would maybe would have moved on from Marfin's interpretation of magic and come up with her own spells and found her own life that like that was the moment where she kind of like handed off the apprenticeship and was like I have to be my own wizard but I'm very glad that I 
um, hugged him in the last episode and told him that I was glad that he was my wizard. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it was... I cry. Everything about that <laughs> Everything about that was so fucking beautiful. Everything, the relationship you guys had, the way it ended, whether or not you even kept that book, just giving the book and learning from it a little bit because you had those days with it. Mm-hmm. Like, it just... It just shows how impactful people can be in your lives, even when they're in there for a short time. And it really was like from my as a DM and the creator of these characters, I was like Gianni is like the man that I've met in life, real like all the time. Like I meet that man all the time. Yeah. And then Marfin was like the man I want to meet, the one who's gonna be like, they're you know they're definitely flawed, like they're not perfect, but they absolutely are like I know I'm flawed and I want to work on that oh, and I want to be better. Answer. I seek yeah. answers. I seek improvement. I there is no peak for me. For I am always seeking the peak. I don't want to hit my peak and then be like, well, I got, I'm going to be a shit show for the rest of my life. He's like, I got to keep trying and keep improving. Yeah. One, I loved the moment where Ardrahan turned from me to try and kill Smite, and I killed him on the uh, Sentinel, Sentinel. Um, opportunity attack. Mm-hmm. I think it was great that he kind of like underestimated Zola in that moment and turned from her to try and go for Smite and Zola one wanting to protect Smite again and two being like don't turn your back on me like I'm your rightful opponent killing him that moment and then you're giving me chills that fact that he turns and I like I'm a you know kind of picturing that like from behind him I like slit his neck or something and then we're facing in the same direction for our eyes to meet the sea Mm -hmm. the way that Noah like acted that out I wish that it was a vodcast because Mm -hmm. your eyes were unhinged you looked like a zealot dying in that moment that I was almost afraid to look at you because Uh. you were so like in the moment and that was like such like a doomsday moment of like oh, this has been set in motion and there's nothing that we can do now. Like, Zola killing Ardrahan, making the prophecy come true. I'm sure you just had, like, oh, it's some moment I have to say that their eyes both meet the sea. That no. was the perfect <laughs> moment for it. It really, like... Those zealot eyes are just Noah's eyes. Yeah, those are my regular eyes. <laughs> because Noah's just excited that, like, you walked right into their trap. <laughs> to, be, to be kind of piggybacking off of that, it's the same kind of thing with the shard, where it was, like... I know what moves you have to make here. Mm-hmm. I know that this move will be made. And so... Noah, every time, like, Ardrahan gets stabbed, and he's like, yeah. Yes, yeah. Oh, yes, good. It's like Noah being like, hee 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 the gate. And the fact that, like, the one of the last things Zola said to him was, like, how does it feel to be, An like, ant. forced down a path of, of not your own choosing? But then he still is choosing that path. And Zola's so angry, being mm. like, you shouldn't want this path. Like, yeah. you should think you're more than this. A, a great dichotomy between their characters. Yeah, there's. it's just an inevitability of, like, that. There's people like that in the world where they're, like, the. I mean, the worst thing here is that Ardrahan died being, like, I won. Like, he looked out. He was, like, yes. there we go. And now I see this. And I know we're both looking at it. And I know you see through the portal. I know I won. But that's the way uh, organized mass cultist religion is, yeah. is that even in their death when they have chased themselves to hell, essentially, they think that they're entering heaven. Like, you know, real life mirrors the Jonestown massacre and yeah. bringing all of these helpless people along and being like, yes, this is right because it's what I chose for everyone. Exactly. And it's not knowing psych- that he's a fool God. even in like the last moments. 
Very good. And my last, last one. very last simp for, uh, I hate to give myself a simp. You but should. Thank you. Um, I had like written my little monologue and then late at night at like 1am I was like falling asleep and then realized that the name for mine and Cicero's and Quince's pirate ship should be the finally free and then realizing that I should invite Eustacea along because I'm finally free of being the Shigerite. Cicero's is finally free of the dungeon paddlewick. Quince is finally free of being someone's like scapegoat sidekick, garbage can kicking, dumpster, fire, awful, terrible bastard. I can keep going. (laughs) (laughs) And Eustacea also free of everything that, you know, has has oppressed her. Exactly. Um, And so when we met Eustacea and I understood I was like, oh, I can add her to this. And hopefully, hopefully she would want to come along. Probably not permanently, but at least for a small adventure. Absolutely. For a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like everyone that Zola has touched upon outside of Erza uh, <laughs> and maybe Charlotte Amira are people who are like, I will. Yeah, I'll, you need my help. I'll join you on that adventure. Right. Mm-hmm. Erza will be like, oh, you come here. You got, I got you. <laughs> yeah. And Charlotte Amira, same thing. But she's also, it's the same kind of thing. They're both royalty. They're like, I actually... Me leaving the place where I rule is kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, but yeah, I I loved that. I loved the name you gave it. I loved the concept of everyone going out on an adventure. It was gorgeous. Thank you. The finally free really broke me, actually. (laughs) Any last minute simps or even imps before I just, you know, I, again, it's just like a list of things I want to read before we, we close out today. My imps were so minor. I said them all and you answered all my questions and I could truly, truly, truly simp forever. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Ashley, do you simp for me? <laughs> <laughs> Doth thou simp? Doth thou simp for mm, me? I simpest. Um, <laughs> I will say that I spent the whole sixth arc thinking that NP was going to be a huge proponent of the final battle and the fact that she wasn't there. Yes, I also was interested, and I think it was a great uh, kind of mirror of Priya in the first arc, of mm. Priya being like, my place is here. Obviously, Eustacea still helped us in the last arc. We didn't see this, but she made sure that, like, my mom was okay. Absolutely. And took care of this, like, massive roiling army that we left. Similar A to how runes. Brigid turning into the Red Dragon would, like, convince everyone to stop fighting. I'm imagining that that's kind of what happened. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, her being able to have her own role and not just be, like, our sidekick, I or think, n- yeah. was an interesting twist. Not just like doing like a ridiculous amount of damage as a a golden dragon, Mm -hmm. like raining down like you know pain and violence on on people. Speaking of pain and violence, did you lose your mind when Groomsh titanate Mistra? Were you also like, what the fuck is going on? I think that I really was like dissociating through like this the part (laughs) part of the final battle because I was like so pissed that like anything I tried, I was rolling so badly. And I was just like, I can't even believe it. That's the shadow of the darkest night, though. You know, it's just the hero's journey is the point of no return and everything is failing until a light appears, you know? It's crazy. I want to add that you guys don't, like, I edit the episode, so I'm listening to these things over and over again. And our listeners get this experience because they're listening to it on a weekly basis. So they hear the last thing and then they're like, this is the next thing. 99 is like Brigitte absolutely did, has yeah. so many fucking epic moves that save the day and enable the finale to exist. No, I was Every just, I was just single, bringing it up. 
Go ahead. No, you go. I was just bringing it up because it was like funny that like I like you're bringing up these moments and I'm just like forgetting that these things happen because I think like me as Ashley and then also Brigitte as Brigitte is just like, what the fuck? Why didn't my Everything spell come I'm off? doing is not working. But the re- the entire like last two or three episodes really hinging on the magical things happen in threes the three incredible regenerates that brigid does the regenerate of like bringing smite back wholly like ready to fight uh bringing back eustesia's mentor and regaining our trust and then regenerating mistress heart like those three regenerates you finished the campaign actually yeah. like mistress heart regenerate zola would have had nothing and the whole final battle i was scrolling through my spells scrolling through my spells and being like there's not a single thing here that can help the world not end i kept making the joke of being like well i spider climb on the cathedrals yeah because i had nothing there was nothing i could do besides kill limburger or kill mistra yeah you were the one who needed to give the gift and heal yeah. Like, that was you. You absolutely, <laughs> I like... I forgot that I did that. See, in the Creator Forge. In the Creator Forge. <laughs> See, that there was, like... Which I, you were connected to by the plane of fire. Like, yeah. it was Also, beautiful. casting Foresight on you was fucking Huge. crucial. That was crazy. That saved... I, honestly, you guys succeeded so wildly in the finale because... Because of Foresight. Because of Foresight. That's why Ardrahan went down so fast. Yeah, because Ardrahan... I mean, as Lisa said... I essentially, he was like a level 10 cleric. Mm-hmm. He was like a level 10. It was the equivalent of someone who's like a, not like the Pope and not like a Bishop, but like a very, like a high ranking priest suddenly getting like God talking directly to them and that making them the Pope. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was not super powerful. He had some really big hits, but he was not built to like last if you can get some licks in. And because of the advantage, because of the disadvantage he had, because like Zola Sentinel. survived. Yeah. Because of Sentinel and the use of the mechanics, like you guys together made this happen. Okay. Take ending, it back. We crushed you it. Crushed it. <laughs> you crushed it. The crushed ending, it. The ending hinged on you guys finding a way out because I personally only created ways for things to end and was like, they can, if they come up with something that works, if they use the creator forge in a way that will save all of this, which they definitely could, but it would be like something. Yeah. It was just regenerate being a trans, uh, transmutation spell. Huge, uh, huge. And we didn't look up transmutation spells until at all. like until the last hour <laughs> yeah i mean we, like, like you guys think you guys that were, like for the whole time our plan was to regenerate mistress heart no because it happened in about 15 fucking seconds where ashley and i looked at each other and we're like is this the moment where the creator forge helps what can we do and then looked up transmutation spells dnd and it just happened like we had no grand plan, but it just was right. It was between that and time stop, and you guys were like, if we time stop, it's we're just, just the delaying same. the inevitable. We're like, we need to do cycle. something else. And I feel like if the if time stop had happened, you know, I would have turned to Marfin. I almost did this in, if we had gone for another round or something, I would have turned to Marfin and been like, you have, you have to do this again. Like, you have to scatter your mind again and find the next group of heroes and do this all over again. And then I feel like Zola and Brigid and Smite would have been like frozen in the mm. cathedral with Mistra while Marfin fled or something and restarted the entire thing. Oh like, man, and then some other like uh, unwitting heroes like go through the mansion, find our stumble picture. Stumble upon us. Yeah, exactly. It would oh. have just been everything. Um, and also obviously Amaralia would have been so much darker. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely, definitely. <laughs> okay. Really, I, well, that's I simp for thee, guys. I simp for thee. I simp for thee. Oh, simps all around. Everybody takes some simps. I loved how it ended. I cried all night, and mm-hmm. I really loved how it ended. I think it was a beautiful ending, though. You really outdid yourself. Thank you. You guys made it possible, and the fact that you, in that ending battle, were like, Let's, especially once you got li- rid of Limburger and you were like, well, it doesn't feel right to like beat Mr. Into, dis- into like. How many hit points did she have? She had 700, 700 hit points. <laughs> and if they wanted to go for it, bad. they could go for it. But I was like, the reality is, is that the best way of doing this is for people to be sacrificing their turns to make it so that she's not going to be using her ultimate powers to fucking kill you. You buy yourself time to come up with a good plan by being like, please, I just want to help you. (laughs) 700 hit points would have been like 23 turns with the tusk. Like, if it were excluding yeah. what like whatever Brigid was doing, it would have been impossible. Oh, really quickly! Oh my God, I want to read uh, before I read like the future of Try Not to Die thing that I have written. I want to briefly read for you guys all the stuff that could have happened in the ending battle. Yes. The different like mechanics that were there that just didn't happen. Right, because Limburger came out, and I felt like we were doing the thing where we keep rolling the same thing, which we tend to do, which started with us rolling cheese plane all the time. Basically, like you kept so there was a lair action every turn. Mistra had the ability to like shoot an arcane blast, which she did. She had the ability to burn three legendary actions, and I forget what it exactly was, but she could essentially like I think it was either two or three legendary actions to add another lair action to what was already going on. The lair actions were magical flare. Arcane Surge, Arcane Dead Zone, and Magic Holds, as in, like, nothing. Mm. So, like, you want a four, because that means nothing crazy happens this round. Arcane Dead Zone happened, and I believe the only person concentrating on something was Zola, and she rolled a check and managed to survive said check. Um, Arcane Surge was all casters concentrating on a spell must roll a DC 10 plus the spell's, uh, spell's level check or lose control leading to a wild magic surge and the failure of the spell mm. any spell cast during this round has to, any spell not just the fifth level and above has to have a spell check with it um and then the other the last one was the one that we got a lot but this one had it was you get this a one on the d4 then you roll a d8 abjuration conjuration divination enchantment um scroll 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 evocation illusion necromancy and transmutation transmutation ashley and i are feeling emotional over you saying saying scroll 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 scroll. scroll. (laughs) i can't cut it that it's true i say that a lot in the episodes that and do 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 roll in roll in scroll in scroll in um eight you get transmutation time stop is cast and so mister gets to act for four rounds without anyone being able to do anything and so she just would have ended the world she would just end the world necromancy is um what happened with limburger that was a luck of the draw she would have had to use three legendary actions to summon him on her turn anyways but when that happened i was like we're gonna do that hell yeah illusion everyone this happened as well everyone's visage visage switch and like everything visually becomes distorted it means that essentially cancels out foresight um evocation is the earthquake spell enchantment would have been everyone rolls a wisdom save or is confused for the round Mm. divination steal my thunder (laughs) i know right i was like i'm gonna use confusion um mistra cannot be hit this round i believe divination happened as well conjuration 
This was the one I was really hoping would happen, mm. but it didn't happen. This would have, you guys would have been, for a whole round, every turn would have been you leaping into a different place in the world. So you would have, like, uh. what, you would have gotten to see Eretza because you would have, like, suddenly been fighting in Balderheim and then moved to another area by the next Whoa, round. Whoa, that would have been that very have been crazy. crazy. If we had taken a little tour of Emerald. Exactly. Yeah, but all fighting in different places. It would have been brutal, but it would have been really, really cool. And then the last one was Abjuration. Shield is cast by Mistra without using the reaction. She gets a huge bonus to AC. Mm -hmm. So that was all the stuff that could have happened in terms of mechanics and you managed to circumvent a lot of it by being like approaching with humility and eliminating threats rather than just like head taking a head on. So great work you guys. <laughs> I'm very proud of you. I'm so grateful for this campaign and for you all. I will leave it with just um I can't, you know, I can't speak for any future GMing that would happen amongst the people in front of me. <laughs> Don't look at me. Um, but <laughs> I, me. I will say that I will formally announce Muse Makers. I had always said that this was going to happen, but the All Bard campaign we will definitely be releasing towards the end of the year. This will be kind of another mini campaign of like ten or so episodes, um, basically bards competing before the nine muses for the ultimate prize, one wish spell. Uh, it'll be like a fun break from our bigger stuff, and it'll allow you guys to kind of explore different types of characters um, in a sort of reality TV show sort of dynamic. Um, and we'll be using 5e, but I'll be also incorporating other sort of systems that I find are appropriate for like social interactions and stuff like that. What did we say it's going to be like? It's going to be like Drag Race a little it's bit? It's going to be like Drag Race meets Survivor. <gasps> That's so crazy because earlier uh, I was thinking about, I was doing what I love to do, which is watch um, compilations of the best runways and lip syncs and drag race on YouTube. And I was thinking about how the two greatest ultimate reality shows are Survivor and Drag Race. They are two sides are of the two, same coin. Two mirrors of each other. Exactly. So that's music to my ears, baby. <laughs> that's muse. That's muse to my ears. Um, I will also be saying that the content surge people will get this first. We're definitely going to be doing one shot set in Emeralia, set in Fayfall in that realm. The musical episodes. Musical as well. episodes on that list. Facing off against Nula, whether that's Zola and Brigid and Smite, or um, Brigid and her mother and Baba, or all of them all at once, but in different capacities. Um, also, of course, taking on Bikamint the Unhinged, returning to Erza and Balderheim. Paragon. Paragon, which is the fall of the Empire and Kittle. I assume that probably will be like a three episode thing. Wrapping up the golden warriors and everything and then of course we will be finding quince's mom that will be a nice one shot that we will see maybe that would be a fun frost joy episode oh that would be like fun. going home for the holidays and trying to find yeah that would be fun very sweet then uh as we already said we're gonna be doing the musical episode which will feature both new versions of old songs where we like add voices and lyrics to songs we wrote and then also feature brand new, new songs. songs that we yeah. have not even written yet so i'm very excited for that um and then finally the next, like, big, long, I don't have an episode number for how many it would be campaign will likely be in 2024. Um, and it'll probably be a mix. We'll probably do partially remote, at least for some of it. So that'll be, like, the first one where we'd really do that. And it'll be kind of set. It'll definitely be set in a new world. Likely one that I have hinted at before that was called Pasture. That was, mm -hmm. like, a sort of, like, what if humanity didn't leave the Garden of Eden sort of thing. Uh, and I think that that's it. So if you guys have any other things, I mean, I just that's, have a big thank you. That's a big uh, dump. 
I know. I, I took a <laughs> big dump the at dock, the end of this so one. So I've been re- I've been reading the doc dump. That's true. I did, I have a future <laughs> campaigns doc, and like we have a Patreon doc that like it, it abs- it's a it's a simpler outline of what I have going on in other docs. So Lisa's gotten a little peek at many of these. Definitely, you know, we're going to be pausing our um, Patreon subs for the summer, but definitely we'll still be posting there any updates uh, about these bonus episodes, about the musical episode, mm-hmm. the making of the musical episode. I'm sure we'll post some stuff about and the upcoming campaigns, any teasers about characters. It's all going to be on our Patreon. So, and of course, um, you know, if you're a Richie mcrich pants and you still want to donate to us even while we're not producing content i'm sure we would all really appreciate that as we have mentioned no and ashley are moving to amsterdam we're moving the studio we're trying to refresh our equipment so um you know if you want to help our next campaign be even uh, better and not have two initial episodes that have really bad audio audio quality (laughs) i was speaking to one of our patrons and they were like i'm so excited for you guys to be able to start a campaign and be like at the level of quality you guys are already at Mm -hmm. and i was like as much as i love and do not regret how we started things i absolutely am so excited for us to be like new campaign where we get to have like uh, right from the start we're as good as we've been and we'll be starting at much lower levels so we'll all be like we're so good at this game and we're playing with simple shit so Mm -hmm. hell yeah and i might have a southern accent interesting i've been begging ashley i might be a disaster tiefling (laughs) Our campaign is really built already, guys. Um, Greetings from the future. I am cutting in to explain that we opened a present from a fan on air. The incredible producer, Patty, sent us something uh, after we had already recorded this reflection. So we are going to cut that in right now. Our incredible patron, Patrick Braunstetter, sent us a package... Um, and as promised, we are going to open it on air. Ashley has her blade. She has unsheathed it, and she's about to swipe. Wow, Whoa. there was metal in it. Ashley, did you train to do that move? <laughs> she's been learning how to saber champagne bottles for a long time. Just for this occasion such as these. But the layout into the backflip, what was that? <laughs> yeah. That helped. I helped. The fact that there was so little mobility in this space, and yet you made it, so, you did such a... I'm, uh, many people might not know this, but I'm very small. <laughs> I'm very small. I could do. I can do many flips. I could do many flips in small spaces. Um, just so everyone knows, we're literally in the middle of a stoop sale for Noah and Ashley's apartment. Yeah. The studio is like an insane deconstructed, <laughs> deconstructed rack of stuff. We the- recorded this reflection that you're listening to. Um, a week, a week ago, ago. and a week so ago. a week ago, <laughs> and so this we wanted to cut this in before um, we pack up we the stew. Ashley is getting packed soon. On her knees, there's not even a chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this chair <laughs> is outside with the rest of our stoop stuff. <laughs> they, guys, just as a little update on the package opening, they are really hacking their way through I this. I think we're good. I think we got. You think it. you got it? So. All right, Unboxing. 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 Unbox
Patty, Pat. Oh, you guys can use the um, bubble wrap for <laughs> your Honestly, for your Pat, the, the greatest Thanks, gift Pat. is this box and all of the packaging. <laughs> all right, there's two packages. Also, let's read the card first. Wow, guys, this card is... Oh my god, that is some heavy so, stock. This is some nice wow. stock paper. Oh, on so the front. I wish this That's was a vodka. Which owl are you? There's three owls, one on each letter of the I'm word the hottest, try. Sluttiest one. Pat is so talented. <laughs> Check the description for Pat's um, uh, links to the Instagram and such. Oh man, such a beautiful card. Oh, do you do you guys want to read it? Show you, us. You, I, you know. Show us. Dear Ashley, Lisa, and Noah, I've finally gotten around to sending you the mugs I made for you a few weeks ago. I hope you like them. I also added some other things I made, some drawings and tiny earrings. I enjoy the things the three of you make so much. I want to say thank you for the hours and hours of fun and distraction from the world. Thank you. I love you, Patty. We love you, too, too, Pat. We love you so much. It means the world that you're a fan and that you um, created these beautiful (gasps) mugs. There's two in here. Wow. Everyone gets a mug. Everyone gets a mug. Oh, oh my god! Oh, oh, <laughs> our names are on the mug. Shut up! This okay, they're so personalized. Beautiful. They have our names on them. A personal owl on a D20, and they say "Try not to die." And they're signed. They're signed. Authenticated. Authenticated. <laughs> Thank you so much. That, these are amazing. Seriously, thank you. incredible work, and thank you so much. We are truly honored. Oh my goodness. And uh, they arrived nary a chip, correct? Nary, nary a chip. All the Mine way from Austria Absolutely to perfect. New York. Oh, my God. I Gorgina. can't wait to bring ours. Pat, thank you. And have you. them in our new home. Thank you to all of our patrons, especially the ones who have been like so vocal with their support. It's literally yeah. our favorite thing. It's literally, I know that like, I think that that is probably a cliche at this point for people to be like, it's all about the fans, but truly it really it makes your world. You it's all about you bitches. It makes our fucking world whenever we hear from you, whether it's in a message or in these, or in the form of customized mugs, they, uh, it means all the world to us. We'll have to share a little cup of coffee in the morning before you guys oh yeah Amsterdam. tuesday morning the last tntd tuesday sponsored by Bye. <laughs> <laughs> incredible well thank you so much pat um and for anyone who wants to send us things we will have an address to give you eventually <laughs> we love you bye-bye so thank you so much for listening and supporting us through this first story through the pandemic through so many different world events that were completely unprecedented unprecedented (laughs) i really appreciate and well we all really appreciate your support it was messy and it was beautiful and hard but i'm so grateful to have gotten to work with you two and grow as a person because of this work and you all our audience so i love you all so much i love you too We'll miss you like hell. Till next time. Go to hell! (laughs) That's how we end the episode.
feel like books. <laughs> Make sure you listen. All hail our Eldritch patrons, especially Anita, Any Major Dude, Ashley, Becca B, Colleen, Eclair, Ilana, Emily, Grace, Hope, Jacob, James, Jeff, Joey, Kate, Katie, Leo, May, Morgan, Nat, Nicola, Paige, Patrick, Roni, Sahara, and of course, our producer Patty, Patrick Branstetter, and producer Daddies, Drew Bailey, Sam Golden, Becca Mount, and Rose Evelyn Campbell. We thank you for these podcasting powers and promise to raise hell in your names. Till next time, try not to die.